Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, September 15th. We are here live. The first hour today is a free-for-all. Then we will jump into trucking technology and efficiency. Uh, Looks like we have Joel, Alec, and Henry today. And then uh, when we wrap up with that, we will head on over to close out the week with a free-for-all on spaces. So we've got a lot lined up for today. Phone lines are open right now. It is a free-for-all. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, anything at all you want to talk about, jump in and join us, 855-950-3835. I got a bunch of stuff, but it's just kind of all over the board. I don't really have a theme today. Um, The UAW is on strike. It's hard to say if that could turn into a big thing or not. It certainly could. Uh, Short term, I don't know if it would have much of an impact because um, there seems to be a pretty big inventory of cars right now. So I don't know a lot about that industry, but I follow a couple of uh, people on social media that are really into that. So I, I get a lot of information from them. And their take on this right now is short term, probably won't have a big impact because of the inventory of cars. Now, in trucking, it's going to have an impact. I I used to truck in Northeast Ohio, and a lot of the freight I did was automotive freight. I, I did a ton of automotive freight from all around Northeast Ohio to Detroit and back. That, that was just a really common um, route, a lot of uh, automotive freight. A lot, of, a lot of that freight was really good, too. Uh, for a while, I had a gig um, when I had my own authority. I would take spools of wire out of, uh, oh, shoot, over there, Warren. What's the big wire company? I'm drawing a blank on that. De- not Delco. Uh, now I can't remember who it was. I'll think of it in a minute. Uh, I would take spools of wire over and bring empty spools back. So it was one of those really nice runs, zero empty miles, just went back and forth. Uh, There's a lot of that kind of freight in that area that people in that part of the uh, industry will get hurt almost immediately because that stuff just stops right now. The cars themselves, obviously, the people who haul the cars are going to get hurt. But it shouldn't have a big impact on the economy until the inventory of cars starts to go down. If that happens, then you get the double whammy. You've got people out of work. You've got other industries that supply the automotive industry out of work or much, much slower. And you will start to see more inflation as we run out of cars. It will start driving the price of all cars, new cars and used up, which just adds to our biggest economic problem right now, which is inflation. Um, Something to go along with that, this idea of inflation and why we're so worried about it. I've mentioned Argentina before. Um, Argentina is a really interesting example of what we need to be afraid of in the United States. And we better not be thinking we are too big to fail as a country. That's absolutely not true. And we shouldn't think that way. And I know as Americans, we do. And I'll tell you why, because in my lifetime, all I have ever seen really is the company or the country grow and 
prosper. I, I've never really seen anything other than um, mostly forward progress. I could talk about politics and how that's, you know, gets worse every decade. But as far as the economy and economic opportunities, all we've ever seen is more and more in this country. Sure, we have recessions and then we bounce back and we just had the longest economic run up in history. And it starts to make us feel like we're invulnerable. Like that couldn't possibly happen to us, but it could. Argentina was like that in South America. Argentina was one of the richest economies in South America. Very wealthy, lots of opportunities, excellent quality of life. But if you watch what happened to Argentina, they started implementing a lot of progressive policies and they had a lot of progressive politicians and parties and it destroyed the economy. I'm not talking about a recession. We are talking about third world living conditions in much of Argentina because of this. The, there's been so much inflation that you have to take a box full of cash to go buy lunch. And that's not an exaggeration. The money is worthless. The country is in shambles. This started about 20 years ago, and it's been declining rapidly, and that country is in really bad shape. We're seeing some of the exact same things happen here with the, the high crime in the cities, and I, I could go on and on and on. We have to be careful that that does not happen to this country. If you want to see a good piece that will help you understand this, um, go watch Tucker Carlson's new piece on, uh, on Twitter or X. Um, he interviewed um, a person who may likely be the next president of Argentina. Um, he's in the race and he's, he's really gaining a lot of support. And the reason we should watch this is because this is what we need to be looking at now before we get to this point, to that point that they're at. So the guy that um, may be uh, president, pretty interesting guy. He was a soccer player. Uh, he was a singer in a rock band, and he's an economist, but he's a libertarian economist. And his ideas will bring the country out of this if he can get into office and get enough control and all the other things that have to happen. But it's a step in the right direction. And Tucker does a good interview with him. The one thing that's a little annoying about it for me, um, I hate watching videos. They, they, it's just so time consuming. So a lot of times I'll put a video in the background and I'll go, you know, do other stuff. But you can't do that with this one because um, oh, Javier, Javier Millet is his name, but he doesn't speak English. So you have to read the subtitles. So you have to watch the whole video. It's only about, uh, well, it's 32 minutes. Uh, really interesting if you want to understand that big picture of what we might be facing economically. And it's scary to think if that were to happen to the United States. Now, here's another reason why it's really scary. If it happens to the United States, it has a huge impact on the world economy. And Argentina had an impact, but not not like if it would if there was something like that to happen in the U.S. And if you think it can't happen, it, you're just wrong.
Uh, it could absolutely happen here. And there's a lot of signs that it will happen if we don't change course soon. Let's, uh, let's get to some phone calls. Let's go to South Carolina. Terrence, welcome to the program. What's up, Kevin? I got a couple of things. Well, uh, the main reason was I, I've been feeling like crap last couple of days, you know, just a headache and, you know, a little bit of nausea every now and then, but there's nothing, you know, nothing. So my fiance is an ER nurse. She just got sent home. She's got COVID. Now I tested and cause she brought, they, remember I, I told you a couple of weeks ago, they sent the home with test kits. Yeah. So, so if you feel like they want you to test before you come in. So I tested like Tuesday, I, I, I was negative. So she just got home, sent home and tested and she's positive now. So, but so you're, I mean, she just feels like crap. The, the tests aren't very accurate. So a lot of false positives and false negatives, but Here's something we should really be thinking about at this point. Like you said, she she feels like crap. You you don't feel all that great. My guess is you're going to get over this, and it's not going to be any big deal. So it, it's like getting a cold or the flu. Some years it's worse. Some years it's not that bad. A lot of times might even depend on your own immune system how bad it's going to be. Well, all the time it would depend on that. But here's the thing. Why are we testing? I, I get when we tested in the beginning and why, but now that we know this is just another seasonal illness we're probably going to get and deal with every year, why are we testing? What is the point of testing? I'm sick, so what? We never tested to see if we had the cold or the flu. In fact, doctors, I've complained about this for years, walk into a doctor's office with any kind of seasonal runny nose, whatever it is, and they give you an antibiotic. But, well, why? You should have tested to see if that was bacterial or viral. They don't even bother. They just give people antibiotics. So why now are we testing to see if we have COVID? What difference does it make? Well, I hear you. The, the only reason why I test is because I'm like, remember I said at the beginning of the week, after the weekend, my, my uh, body, my uh, HRV yeah. is down like, yeah. like 50, 53. This is like, so I've been feel, even feeling like crap. My, in the last two days, my body battery went, from, went to 58 yesterday. And now I woke up this morning, I was at 59. Nice. Good. <laughs> so, yeah. So I don't know. Like I said, I mean, I, I guess my body's just, you know, it, it's fighting care it off. Of it if, that, I, if I have it. Exactly. That's what yeah. our body does. And when we have good, strong immune systems, this is no big deal. Sure, we get sick once in a while, no matter how good your immune system is. But the experience you have when you're sick will be very different. So, oh, yeah. Again, like I said, I've been religiously doing that copper and silver. Too. Absolutely. You know, There's so. lots of things we could do. Make sure our vitamin D levels are good. Take some of these um, supplements that can help our immune system. But nobody ever talks about that. It's just test and get jabbed. Test and get jabbed. I, that's the, yep. uh, that's it. Well, exactly. <laughs> and and uh, now there is an absolutely good report out right now that says if you take the shots that are on the market right now, it will probably put you in the hospital. Of all the people that are in the hospital right now with COVID, it's like 85% of them are vaccinated. They, they're really starting to believe that this new variant not only does not respond to the older vaccine, that it actually is worse to get it. And, and we've believed that from the beginning. 
But now the, it looks like there's some real proof. So, of course, they'll rush this next version out, and they're already pushing it even though they don't have it yet. Oh, my God. It's on television all over the place. Yeah. All over TV. Yeah, and now they're they're getting ready to approve a triple vaccine, RSV, flu, and COVID. Yeah, good luck with that one. I've never taken a flu shot neither, so I don't I'm not and I'm not gonna I got my immune system I've been sick before a couple of times. I feel like shit. And right. you know, I, I I still go to work, you know, you just fight through it. I mean Right. It's good, or, good having a good immune system. Yeah, or stay home if you feel like it. Stay in bed and take a day off. Big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. All right, I'll let someone else get in. I want to let you know it's well down here. It'll, I told you that a while ago. It's starting to come back, but yeah. it's on a tear. So. Yeah, it, and it's it's kind of interesting because this is not flu and cold season. Why, why are people getting sick now? So obviously COVID is different or... Maybe this is just a lot of media hype. Nah, couldn't be that. Let's go to Illinois. David, welcome. Uh, hello, how you doing? Doing good. What's on your mind today? Um, I actually have a couple of uh, questions. The first one is a couple of years ago, I bought my own truck. I really don't do the hard work and I don't have any business being an owner operator, but I am. <laughs> well, um, thank you for being honest. I love that. And um, I bought the Kevin Rutherford scan gauge, and I hooked it up, and everything was fine for a while. But then my engine blew up, and I had a new engine put in my truck. And when I did, it was right in the beginning of COVID, so it was hard to find a place to work on a truck. But when they changed out my engine, they changed it from a 40-pin ECM to a 70-pin I have a Caterpillar C12, a 99 Freightliner. And ever since they changed my engine and my ECM, my scan gauge doesn't work anymore. Does it, um, it doesn't work at all? It, or so when you do you have you still have the port to plug it into, right? Correct. When um, you plug, hold on. They didn't Let, change. Hold on. Hold on. Let me ask questions and this will go a lot faster. When you plug it in, what happens? Um, you know, it's been a year since I had it plugged in. I know it powered up. I actually just pulled over on a shoulder of the road to see if I could find my gauge because I still have it. Here it is. Um, it would power up, but it didn't act like it used to. Well, let's, let's be more um, specific about that. Hold on. Give me a specific example of what it's doing different from what it did before. Okay. That's a that's a hard question to answer because it's been a whole year since I had it plugged in. David, David, let me give you some advice. Let me give you some advice so we don't waste your time, my time. Um, If if this is kind of the way you you run your business, and you've said that 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 you bought the scan gauge, you spent the money on it. When they made this change, it didn't work, so you threw it back in the box. And a year later, for some reason, you decide to call me. Um, I could certainly help you with this. Right. I know what's wrong. I, I already know what's wrong. But it, yeah. do, you, do you really even want to bother spending the money to fix this problem? Because I doubt that you're going to use the data for anything. Oh, I am going to use the data. Uh, well, I'm going to get well, better at this trucking business. Okay. All right. That's the first time I've heard you say that, that, that you want to change the way you do things. 
Good. So here's here's what's wrong. Here's what's wrong. There is a from the ECM. It it's wired to that port that you connect the scan gauge into. Mm-hmm. They probably wired that wrong. But in order to know that, again, we have to get specific. And and what we would do is look at each gauge that is on the scan gauge. Is it accurate? You know, oil temperature. Is the oil temperature on the scan gauge accurate? Look at the oil temperature gauge in the truck. Look at the scan gauge. Is it accurate? Oh, good. That one works. Is the RPM accurate? Look at your dash gauge. Look at the scan gauge for RPM. Is it accurate? Speed. So you just start checking each gauge individually. And then if we find a gauge that isn't accurate, then we kind of know where to look in the wiring. Does that make sense? When I plug. When I plugged the scan gauge in, I just pulled over on the side of the road and dug it out and plugged it in. It lights up and it says no codes found and none of the buttons respond. Then it's then it's just wired completely wrong. The the this now. Oh, you know, hold, hold on a second. Hold, hold the- on a second. There's one other possibility that we need to try to test first. It is possible that the scan gauge itself went bad during this time. You know, you, you're throwing it in a box in the back of the truck and it's bouncing around back there for a year. And um, who? it's possible it is the scan gauge that's the problem. So we need to plug some other device into your port. Another scan gauge would be best. But even like an ELD that plugs into that port would tell us what's going on. My guess is anything you would, you can pull into the shop and let them plug a reader into that port. And they'll be able to tell if that port is wired accurately because if it's not, the reader isn't going to work. Okay. Um, You're not going to believe this, but this thing seems to be working right at the moment. Why wouldn't I believe that? But I have I, another I, I'm, question. I'm going to guess that when you first plugged it in and it didn't work, you didn't put much effort into it. You just threw it back in the box. That could be right. That could be correct. I, I'm, I'm sure it is because of the pattern, which is fine. You're willing to change that now. That's good. But I'm, I'm, I have a feeling that's what happened. Plug it in. Start playing with it. Don't be playing with it too much while you're driving. But, you know, check some gauges um, while you're driving and see what's working, if anything, and see if it's accurate. And if not, we can start to figure it out. We can get it wired right. Okay. I have another question. Now there's, hold on, hold on. I just thought of something else. Um, there may be some settings in the scan gauge we need to change now. That uh, there's some, there are some initial, I'd have to go back through this. I haven't worked with the scan gauge in a while. Um, it might just be a matter of some settings, play around with it, see what's going on. And when you call me back, I'll know, I'll go back in and look and I'll know what settings might be affecting this. Okay. Oh, you're breaking up now. Um, the one thing I can tell you, maybe your signal will come back here in a second. The one thing I can tell you is we can fix this. It's either the scan gauge and we replace the scan gauge or it's the wiring and we get the wiring done right. That, that, those are really the only two possibilities of what's going on here. This is not that complicated of a system. The scan gauge itself is basically like a little reader, like the software that they might plug in and read what's going on in your ECM. This is the same thing. It's just giving us the data right in front of us while we're driving. So it's just a matter of, is that plug 
wired properly from the ECM? Or is the scan gauge working properly or did it malfunction? Those are really the only two possibilities. Okay. So right now it's a... So I had a fuel mileage question. Sure, go ahead. Let's tackle that. I've got this uh, 99 Freightliner Classic with a C12 Caterpillar, and I recently changed the transmission from a 9-speed to a 13-speed. It's hold, got an overdrive. Hold, hold it's got on. got a double hold, overdrive. Hold on. Let me ask you a question. Did you physically remove the 9-speed and put in a new transmission, or was the 9-speed convertible and you converted it to a 13 I had the Rockwell 9-speed taken out and an Eaton Fuller 13-speed put in. How much money did we spend on an engine and transmission so far? I spent around 45000 on the engine because uh, they kept telling me I needed more new parts like a radiator and a charge air cooler, and I had to upgrade the ECM. So I put 45000 in the engine, and then I spent another 8500 swapping out my transmission. So with all the downtime involved and almost $55,000 put into a 99 truck that will always get a mile per gallon less in fuel economy than what's possible. I'm just not sure that was a good business decision. That's where I'm at. Well, I'm trying to get better. And I know, and I want to help you. I agree. It the, might the, not have been the best decision. And, and the way we get better is we, we do these things that cause us pain. Dave Ramsey refers to it as a stupid tax. We, we make bad decisions and it costs us financially. What I'm trying to help you with, I want you to feel the pain. I want you to think about what we could have done with probably $60,000. In today's market, I could buy a hell of a truck for $60,000. I can buy a truck that will get nine to 10 miles to the gallon for $60,000. What are you getting right now? Okay. Uh, right at seven so, overall. So, so let, me, let me give you another little whack over the head that should hurt. The truck that I could buy for 60000 will save $30,000 a year in fuel over what you're spending. Okay. If you're in my position right now. I, I, I know what's got you have to keep this truck now. Right. Exactly. And we got to do the best we can on fuel while. economy. Correct. And that, that, that's a problem. Correct. I mean, those decisions could be enough to put you out of business in a bad economy. It's close. I, I, I'm sure it I'm is. I'm barely hanging on. I, I'm sure you are. So we do have to fix things, and we have to fix things quick. We don't have a lot of time. Um, how fast are you driving to get that seven miles to the gallon? Normally 64. What is your average? What is your average rate per mile? income how much are you making per mile gross you know like i said i don't do the hard work the best number i could give you is uh around 
two dollars a mile uh, then, for all miles. Is so, about where so I'm you at. just identified the first major problem that you have to fix. You have to get off this call, and you need to go put together an accounting system, or you're not going to make it. And I can tell you this: at two dollars oh, a mile. With today's fuel price and seven miles to the gallon, you should be driving 55. Okay. You're not, that's not a good enough rate to rush to get anybody's freight delivered at that price. It gets delivered when it gets delivered because that, that's just not a good enough rate to make me go faster than I need to. And you need to save every penny you can in fuel. And that means driving 55 will save you $9,000 a year over driving 64. Okay. Um, is there, I was going to ask you about it, doing changes to the truck to make it get better fuel mileage. That comes after. You slow down to 55 and you have money to make those changes. Where's the money going to come from to make these changes? Uh, that's a good question, too. Some um, of the changes. Well, things the economy get better. Well, they're not going to. And we have no control over the economy. So stop thinking about the economy and think about the things you have absolute control over that you have ignored. Okay. This Caterpillar C12, whenever I tried to find out what would be the best RPM to run it, uh, nobody recommends running it less than about 1,400. Well, who are you talking to? Does that to? sound who, about who did, right? Who did you ask? Give me an example of who you asked, where should I run this engine, and what their answer was. I just probably Googled it and uh, looked on you know, a couple of different and, and, uh, answers and, that showed up. And um, you trust that? Well, not necessarily. Um, that's the only answer I've really got. So that's why First I'm, off, uh, it, they're wrong. Trying to do better. They're, they're wrong. But I don't even care okay. about the RPM right now. Here's why. You're going to drive 55. We'll deal with whatever RPM you happen to be in. You've got a 13 speed, so we'll probably run 55 in 12th. We'll just have to check. You've got a scan gauge so we can experiment with 13th or 12th, which gear works best. And it's going to be a combination of both. Sometimes when you're really light and we're on the level, 13th, and you might be down at 1,100 RPM. So what? That's fine. Other times when there's more of a demand on the engine, we might drop to 12th, bring the RPMs up higher. Right now, RPMs aren't that important because the only way we could fix them anyway would be to spend money and you don't have any money. So we're not going to focus on RPM. We're going to focus on speed. The slower you go, the better your fuel economy is going to be. And here's the problem. Okay. You already spent almost $10,000 on a transmission. Well, well, now we have to make that transmission work. That should have been thought of when we were replacing it. Is it a single overdrive, a double overdrive? I, I don't know. And it doesn't matter now because you already have it. We have to deal with it. We can't go get another one. The only way you can change, there's three ways to change your RPM. You can change the transmission, which usually doesn't have a big impact, but we have a little bit of options there. We can change the rear end ratio, which can have a huge impact on it, but you can't afford to do that now. So that one's out. The last way we can affect RPM is with speed. Slow down. 
Okay. Doesn't cost you a penny. So it sounds like you think the 13 speed might have been a mistake. I, I don't know. Uh, how would you have I, decided? I, I, by looking at what speed this truck would get the best fuel economy. And for you right now, that is slow, very slow. If I had the option of replacing the transmission, I would have looked pretty hard for a single overdrive. They're out there. They're kind of rare, but they're out there. Um, and I may even have looked at changing the rear end ratio at the same time. What are the gears in this truck? I didn't ask because I don't care because you can't change them, but let's talk about it at least. What are the gears? 373s. Yeah, we would have changed those, but we're not going to because you, you can't afford it at this point. The other, it's, uh, they're the, 373s. The other message I want to get across to people, um, and I'm going to beat you up on this because you need beating up and you need to feel the pain of this. While there was money to be made, the last three years, you could make money with a truck with half your brain tied behind your back. That's when the fuel mileage modifications should have been happening because you had the cash to do it. Now that we're here and we're hanging on by a thread, you can't afford modifications right now. And that will set us back. It's going to take us longer to dig out of the hole. So what we have to do is we have to slow down. When we slow down, you might save, you know, $300 a month or whatever we can, we calculate it out to be. And that money has to go towards fuel mileage improvements. Uh-oh, I think I'm losing you. No, you're here. All right. So if, if you had money to spend on the truck to get better fuel mileage, what would you D look at first? David, we have got to change your thinking. Why are you, look, first off, we have to agree you're lazy. You have not done the hard work yes, up sir. until this point. What you're doing right now is avoiding the hard work. I'm telling you exactly what to do to get your ass out of this hole you dug. And you keep coming back to, well, if I could modify, why are you worrying about things you can't change right now? And I told you, you can't change them. But you're going to waste brain power and time on those because it's a way to avoid the hard work. You can just keep asking me about stuff you can't do and then go on with your day thinking about stuff you can't do and you won't do the hard work. You're avoiding it. I'm telling you exactly what to do and you want to ask me about stuff you can't do. Okay. Well, I, ga I, I gave you, I have given you so much 55. work. I have given you so much work to do already. <laughs> you need to go set up an accounting system. You need to calculate how much money you're going to save at 55 miles an hour. You need to take that calculation and start planning your fuel mileage modifications. Later, go do the hard work and call me back. Okay. Uh, can I ask one more question? Sure. Better be a good one. Um, I'm, uh, I'm not real smart with the accounting part of it. Um, uh, how do you recommend hey. I get started with an accounting system that you recommend I do? Can you do third grade math? Which means can you add and yes, sir. You can add and subtract and multiply and divide. Yes, sir. Then you are absolutely smart enough to have an accounting system. Because that's all this is. 
The math is adding, subtracting, multiplying, and dividing. That's it. It's third grade math. We make it even easier because you don't have to do the math. Just use our software. You just plug in numbers. It's drop dead simple. We can help you get started with it even. So when you get off this call, call our tribe care team. Do you want me to give you the number? Uh, yes, sir. All right. You ready? I am ready. Oh, my God. I, I have to go look it up. I haven't said our own tribe care number in so long. Hold on. Tribe care should give me the number. Oh, my God. They already did. Um, 855-800-3835. Thank you, Morgan. I didn't even ask, and you already had it up there for me. And it's kind of funny that I couldn't remember it myself. I say our call-in numbers so much, I get that one confused because they're close. So you got that? I got it. Call them up. Tell them you need a Profit Gages account and you need help getting started. Profit Gages account and help getting started. Yep. I appreciate your help, sir. Now, the next time you call, you're going to have a Profit Gages report sitting in front of you, and I'm going to have it in front of me, and you and I are going to go over it, and I'll teach you accounting because it's really simple. Well, excellent. All right. I'm so glad I made the phone call. I am glad you did, too. I absolutely love these kinds of stories, by the way. Somebody who hasn't really been doing it right, and they're still in business because trucking was so good. But I've been saying this forever. If you don't change the way you do things, you're, you're not going to make it through a bad economy, and that's what we are seeing over and over. So I'm glad. It, it's never too late. We'll, we'll make this work. Let's... Uh, Let's go to Tennessee. Jimmy, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Good morning. Morning. Hey, uh, hey I was I was listening the other day on Dave, and uh, Dr. John was on there. And uh, and he said that uh, someone had asked about the COVID. And this is what he said. He said, he said they've had people come in, the clinics he's involved with, and he said, we're not giving them a shot. Because he said it's a money grab. He said this thing is lasting about seven days, and um, and we're not recommending it at all because it's in seven days. It's over it anyway. So why why vaccinate for something like that? And he and he called it a money grab. Uh, we've been saying that for three years. This is nothing new. Uh, yeah, like I, I, every version I, I, of this I, shot well, was never effective. Well, I, I think the reason, I guess, and the, the the what caught my attention about that was that. In, in the first go around, if I'm remembering correctly, Doctor John was big on that shot and all that stuff. You know, that, oh, well, I guess good. that was yeah. my, my. Oh, good. That, that, now I like the story. I, my my first response was, well, well, welcome to America. I mean, we we've been screaming oh, yeah. this from the rooftop since day one. But to find a doctor who was all <clears throat> now, you know, I'd almost like to interview him. I'd like him to go back in his mind and try to remember why he thought this was okay in the beginning. Look, in the beginning, I was worried about COVID too. I I was one of the people asking for the Louisville truck show to be canceled the first year because we didn't know enough about it then. But I was never, ever, not one single day, not one minute on board with this vaccine. Not once. Because it did not make sense. The common cold... The common cold is very similar to COVID. They are both viruses that cause very similar issues. The common cold has been around forever. 
Do we have a vaccine for it? No. Why not? Do we have... I don't think there's anything they can do about it. it other than eat correctly and change H- your health. HIV. Oh. HIV. Horrible virus. Mm. Killed all kinds of people. Still does today. Makes people very, very sick. Why don't we have a vaccine? It's a virus. Right. How, in all these years, we are have not been able to come up with effective vaccines against virus-based illnesses. So how in the world, when it, this new novel virus shows up, within months, four different pharmaceutical companies come up with vaccines? Well, think about the Amish, uh, Kevin. Exactly. Uh, we could they go, don't take them. And, and, and I've right. heard that they've done studies on the Amish, they but have. they won't release them. Well, well, they release them, but the the media won't report them. I can go get the studies. They're out there. I post that kind of stuff all the time. It's the media that will not not let them in the media. It's not that they don't put them in. They actively keep them out. Yeah, exactly. And that's been been the point from the very beginning. So uh, uh, kudos that he's changed his mind. I'd like to know what the hell his thinking was in the beginning. Well, let me tell you this, Kevin. My mother's 97 years old, okay? And and when she got shut up, she, she, she's in assistant living, and they they, uh, they shut them down for about a year um, when this COVID thing. But regardless, she's had, had some uh, memory problems, so we put her in a, quote, memory unit. It's at the same place. But she just has more care is all there is to it. Yeah. Well, the other day, well, and I, I will preface it, they did tell me this week, of all the people in this, in this place, my mother, my mother is the only one, the only one that is not on any medication. That's incredible. In that, place. that is and incredible. She's the only one. <laughs> she, uh, she's the only one. And she's never will. No, uh-uh. She, I mean, awesome. I mean, no. Uh-huh. Awesome. I mean, her daughter is mad at her. You ought to take this. For what? Well, well, wait no, a minute. Wait but, a minute. She's 97. She has beaten the odds yeah. incredibly. She's way past the the, yeah. the average lifespan in the United States. And some idiot doctor is going to look at her and now try to put her on pharmaceuticals? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, she won't do it. Oh, and, and, good and, for and they're her. not giving her any. She's not going to do it. But the other thing is, the other day, well, the, up there, and when I say the other day, I'm talking the last few weeks, we're over there, and the nurses started wearing masks. And one of them told my wife, because she that was a nurse, she said, you know, they told us three months ago, three months ago, that we were going to have to start wearing masks. Now, how did they and know? Said, how did they know three months ago? Yeah, how did, yeah, how did we know? go? Now, the next because, thing look, is, look, this right, is not. Well, they, this is not normal. This is not the flu and cold season. We're not there yet. We're not even close. Exactly. Exactly. But listen, they shut the, the they did a shutdown. They wouldn't let us see her. They, they did a shutdown. They said someone the, had COVID. This is recent? Well, we called up there. Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, just oh, this, this is the last few weeks. Oh, God. Well, all right, and they said, uh, well, we, we're not going to be able to, you can't see her until Friday. Then we call back. Well, we go have to wait till Monday. Someone else had it. Well, now listen now. I, I, my, and this is really my ex-wife. My ex-wife, she's a hard nose. Anyway, she called up and talked to him. 
And she asked him, she says, Are, is the staff on shutdown? And they said, well, well, no. She said, well, why? Because if, 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 if I can't see her, then, and you go out and see me and then walk back in, exactly. what's the difference? That, 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 anyway, ugh. she called and talked to him. I mean, she really, she went over this whole thing. And this, this is her last point. She said, listen to me. She said, the worst, if she die, gets COVID and dies, let her die. She's exactly. 97 years old. But, but here's the thing. The worst thing that can happen is she's not with her family. Of that course. She, she's not having that interaction. You're never going to believe this, Kevin. Two days later, they called a, a one head of the deal. and say, They said, guess what? Uh, you can come in. We decided to lift the, the shutdown. Good. They, they took it away. Good. Now, now, that's the miracle of the deal. I couldn't believe they did that. You know, they it, lifted it. Yeah, I, well, I can't believe it either, really but I'm glad. Said, I'm glad. About, you know, yeah, think so, think so said, here's two stories, this, two stories that are very encouraging. A doctor who was all gung-ho on the vaccine and is now saying, oh, hell no. And a an entire facility that went into a lockdown recently and said, no, we're not going to do that. I, I hope we see a lot more of this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do, too. I do, too. Well, I saw my... Uh, my two cents for All the right. day. But good, good stuff. Thank you for the call. Let's go to Tennessee. Matt, welcome. Good morning, Kevin. What's um, on your mind today? That last story there was an antidotal um, story. Yes. I think it was yesterday you were trying to think of the other word, objective. Uh, no, there's another word that we use. I mean, use. there's a couple different ones. Right. Yeah, but yeah, there's another one I'm thinking of. factual, yeah. Wait a minute. I'm going to have to look it up because I had forgotten about it. Now you yeah. brought it up and now it's making me crazy again. Um, anecdotal <laughs> versus empirical. That's the word I'm oh, always looking go. for. There's empirical data means like big picture data. And anecdotal yep. is one person's story, right? Yeah. Anecdotal versus yep. empirical. And I always forget that word for some reason. So I got a uh, investing question okay. or what's the best plan for saving money. And it's a, probably about a two year time frame. Right now I'm going 50, 50 and I'm just looking for your opinion. I know you're completely out of the market. So your opinion might be different <laughs> than mine. 50, 50% going into the S and P 500. Okay. And the other 50% into a money market, which currently right now today is 5.29% interest. Oh, nice. Okay. And like I said, for, for a two-year plan term, how much more should I put at risk or that 50-50? Is- you know, with your age and what's going on in the economy and what you already have for assets, it, the good news here is there's probably not a wrong answer. I, it, nobody can know what the market's going to do. So, you know, we could say, you know, this balance will work just fine. At some point, we're going to be able to look back and go, well, maybe we should have had a little more at risk or maybe not as much. But we're we're in a market that's so damn hard to predict right now. Um, I follow a ton of analysts and my God, they're just all over the board. Um, the people in trucking can't seem to make up their mind what's happening. The people that watch the overall economy can't. We've, we've got just too much weird stuff going on. I, you know, it's almost one of those where flip a coin. 
And the good news is it's not all that critical. You're going to be okay either way. I would probably just stick with the mix you have right now until something gave us some direction. Okay. Because I don't know. Here's here's the reason I have to answer it like that. If I said, no, I think you should be at 75-25. And then if you said what you should say after I said that, which would be why, I, I wouldn't have an answer. I don't know why. I don't know how to make this decision right now. Yeah. And just for more background, I kind of talked somewhat about this. This is, you know, saving for my next piece of property. Right. And I'm completely debt free. If everything goes as planned, I'll I'll write a check for this piece of property. And we're talking two twenty five to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Nice. So and and that's kind of why When you get to this point in in your financial picture, really, we start to look at things a little differently. We start trying to avoid big mistakes. You don't need to make huge gains because you've done a lot of things so right. You started early. You've been very aggressive. You've got no debt. You've got cash. You've got investments. We don't need big gains anymore. More so, we need to protect the downside. Your retirement is is kind of set already, right? I mean, we, we can look at your plan and say, you're fine. You're going to have a place to live that's very low expense. It's going to be paid for. It's going to be self-sustaining in a lot of ways. And on top of that, you've built up a lot of assets. So yep. you're in a really good place. And I would start thinking more about protecting the downside rather than trying to make any big gains at this point. Well, and, you know, then there's always the debt option of two years from now when, you know, the property comes for sale and the market isn't a big downturn. So the 50% that's in the S&P, well, I could just go borrow that instead of cashing it out. Right. 50% will be protected. Correct. And 50%, you know, could be either up or down or flat or you never know, sideways right? or, you know, yeah. Right. I, I right. can't guess where it's going, so. Yeah, and, Which, you know. I, I think you asked somebody, you might ask TJ on one of the spaces if he's been, um, uh, what's the term for betting on a stock going down? I just drew a blank. Oh, yeah. Short uh, selling. Short selling, right. Yep. That, and I can't remember his name right now. Michael, somebody, I think it starts with a D, his last name, but he was the big short in 2008. Right, right. I can't think of his name, but, you know, he shorted a lot of that stuff and made a billion dollars oh, on the downfall of 08. The, the, the most money ever made in a day on the stock market that I'm aware of, and I, I don't remember the guy's name either, um, but it was done short selling, not buying. And that's kind of an interesting fact. But here's the other thing that I've always talked about. Short selling is the riskiest possible investment I can think of. There is no end to how much money you can lose. This is what people have to understand about short selling. You can say, well, I can only lose the amount I invested. Not in short selling. There is no limit to how much you can lose. There's no limit to how much that stock could go up when you were betting on going it down and the, there's no end. There is no top. So this is the risky investment, riskiest investment you can make. Yeah. 
So that's was in the news, I think, a week or so ago. This, like you said, I can't even think of his name right now other than his first name's Michael. And um, he just made a big short sale or uh, buy. You know, he shorted something, and it's all, you know, thinking we're coming up to another crash. So that's what everybody's been talking about in the financial world. Well, I want to put a little perspective on it. In 2005, um, he started Michael, shorting stuff knowing Michael it was going to happen. There you go. Michael yep. Burry. Yeah. And there, there's a documentary about him from 08 and how yeah, he made so, a billion dollars you know, and all talk, that. Was, I, I mentioned this a couple times. he was shorting stuff for three years before it happened. <laughs> so he lost a ton of money knowing it's going to happen. So <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. So he is a hedge fund manager. I talked about this the other day. These yep. are the guys that make un godly amounts of money i mean you 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 start at billions when you're talking about hedge funds yep if anybody would there there really is a good series it's kind of uh uh it's actually entertaining to watch and there it's in its final season right now i'm waiting for the whole season to finish and then i'm going to binge watch it uh, it's on showtime called billions and it's uh it's almost a satire kind of about hedge fund managers but it, it's pretty interesting no, I haven't seen any of it yet. If, if something's on TV or, I mean, even the, the streaming platforms, all I, I'm going to be the last one to know about it. Yeah, you know, I've, I've probably watched more TV in the last couple of years than I did my whole life just because there's just good stuff now. I mean, there's a ton of garbage, don't get me wrong, no. but I, I find a lot of good stuff to watch on TV. That's um, one. There is another billionaire guy in the... I don't really know anything about him other than I see some ad stuff for him. But he's got a either a series or a documentary coming out, too, where the challenge was starting from zero, can you make a million dollars? I think it's in six months. So he, they stripped him of all of his money, all of his contacts, and they put him in some obscure city like Oklahoma City or something like that. <laughs> right. And in six months, he had $5 million. Insane. Ah, that is just, you know, it, it, there's this saying I've seen or, or this idea that if you took all the money in the world and a lot of people would like to see this happen, this is kind of what progressivism and socialism and communism wants. You take all the money in the world and you divide it equally among all the people in the world. So now everybody's yep. even. So everybody has it, the wouldn't exact be, same wouldn't that dollars be in their wonderful? Yep. Nobody's hungry. Nobody's homeless. Everybody's got plenty of everything they need, except they said in less than a year, it would probably go back to just the way it is right now. Yep. All the people who know how the to make would money be. would figure out how to get all the money away from the people who don't know how to manage money. And this is an example well, I mean, of that. All you got to do is look at people that, win the lottery and yep i mean or, or inherit are, are a bunch horrible. of money right <laughs> yep. inherit a bunch of money those stories happen over and over and over um this is just and and it's the saying the rich keep getting richer the poor keep getting poor and this explains why that happens once you know how to get rich why would you not do those things of course you're going to keep doing them and if you don't know how to manage your money and you don't make an effort to learn how to manage your money, of course you're going to continue to get poorer. Yeah, it's, it's 
it's habits and and knowledge. Yep. More than it is. That's it. Just it's starting it's, out with a. Yeah. You know, we, what, we, well, now you know the talk of universal income or whatever the term is they're using. That. Oh yeah. Oh. They're thinking someday is going to come you about. You know, here's another way to look at this. We we all have the same amount of time. That that doesn't change for anybody. So how does somebody like Elon Musk run like? I don't know how many, six major corporations and virtually all of them are succeeding. Uh, how does somebody, so it's not time. I mean, so what is it? It's knowledge and action. That's it. You learn something different. You do something different. That That's the only difference between the homeless person and Elon Musk. Well, and then there's one more even really weird fact about him and his investing. He invests in his competitors. That makes sense. Yeah, I know. It's a crazy thought, but I, I could see why that makes sense. But, it, I mean, on some of it, like electric cars, is you're betting on the industry. And obviously, if the whole industry expands, you want to be invested in, in right. multiple companies. But right. that's what's interesting right now with the UAW going on strike, the cost of everything they do is getting more and more expensive all the time, and yet Tesla is dropping prices. But they're non-union. They don't have to deal with this. I believe it's the, well, it's, I know it's the Model X, and I think it's the long-range edition. A year or two ago, it was its base price was 90-some thousand. Mm-hmm. I think they just dropped it to 83. That's incredible. In in an inflationary period, that's inflationary incredible. Inflationary time. Right. right, that's incredible. And they expect it to come down. It's because they're improving their production lines, you know, and it, it is a newer technology. That's a good point. Over time, right. Right. things should get cheaper. Yep. yep, that's a good point. All right, Matt, good stuff. I got to move along. The, uh, the day is... Uh, overtaking us here i gotta get my co-host in here joel good morning hey good morning kevin how are you doing good um i know uh you and i were swapping some texts back and forth on some uh calculations we were going to do for ben today i just got them so um i will okay. copy these here as we're talking and i'll send them over to you on text uh, let me just awesome. do that right now and then we'll have that. This should be uh, a kind of a fun. Here's here's how it started. Um, he okay. called and said, you know, what would be, you know, the spec differences if we were talking about 150,000 pounds? You know, I think you and I have talked a little bit about the specs you run. It certainly can go beyond 80. Mm-hmm. But at, at some point, we're going to start looking at different. I think 150,000, we would do this a little different. But what he was really asking was if the way he set it up originally is if we used your truck and we pulled it. And I said, well, you know, there is a, there is a calculation that tells us for every 10,000 pounds you lose this much fuel economy. It's pretty accurate. We could use that. But the, the real potential here would be to spec for that weight and then try to calculate what our fuel economy would be. Uh, uh, correct. What, what we run into when, when we talk about down sped or down speeding, down speeding loses its advantage is the heavier you get because what down speeding is all about is matching uh, the horsepower uh, 
required to move the load um, to what you're applying. And when you downspeed an engine and you get this very wide operating range, we can run at very low horsepower levels to accommodate lighter loads and just, you know, kill it fuel efficiency wise, what we could never do with traditional gearing. And I'll, I'll get into what's happening here. And uh, it, it's, I don't know if if you don't really think about it in this in in the way that I'm going to explain it. I, I, I guess it doesn't really hit you and, and until you you think about it in this way. So, when you think about horsepower, is there any way to physically measure horsepower? Not that I'm aware of. There is not. It is a calculation. You can't hook. Uh, an engine up to any machine and physically measure horsepower. You calculate it from RPM and torque. And, you know, I, I, this gets into the whole boost gauge thing that kind of drives me nuts, especially on the newer engines or on the downsped engines where it's just, it's exactly the opposite. You actually want this thing making boost, but you want higher boost at lower piston speeds. So you always have to relate the two. Uh, you can't simply with a downsped engine hey. say you're making this much boost, it's this much horsepower. It doesn't work that way. Hey, I just had <laughs> so a thought. What we have to look... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Is there any anything in anybody's engine or ECM that could measure piston speed? Well, sure. Your, your tachometer is essentially measuring RPM, which in a generic sense is piston speed for the driver. Now, what that's not going to show is the variation through the stroke. That's the, yeah, that's, that's, but that can all, yes, yes, that can all be figured mathematically, but yes, your tachometer in a very generic sense, obviously the lower the RPM, the lower the piston speed, the driver just doesn't know the variation through the stroke is all. What you do know though, is based on your architecture, the the longer the connecting rod and the shorter the, the throw on the crank or the shorter the stroke, the less variation you have in piston speed throughout the stroke. So that's kind of what I was... long stroke crank... Yeah, yes. What I was getting at was more of not so much using it to, to adjust our driving or anything, more so comparing two different trucks. Like, because we, I think we have this Correct. mindset that says RPM is everything, but we could take two different engines and show at the exact same RPM, piston speed is not the same. This is the big variable that we don't it, think it, yes. about. Yes, it, it, it can be different. Um, I don't know as a driver that you could do anything as a driver to, to, to leverage it, right? that knowledge. That, right. it, that is something that's engineered. That is the mindset of the engineer building that engine who's saying, and basically the reason we go to the very long stroke crank, and that is the Cummins, a cat, a pack R, they have longer throws on the crank. Um, that's torque. You know, everybody says, okay, the, the force applied at a distance. That is one way of developing torque, not the only way, but it, it is one way of developing torque. So when we get the very long throws on the crank and then we put the short connecting rods, um, we do have that variation and acceleration during the stroke. And in the past, it was always considered an advantage 
because as the piston accelerates away from top dead center, it makes the engine feel very responsive. Right. This is why you can, and it has really nothing to do with the tuning of the engine or anything like that. That is just that base architecture. If you have long stroke on the crank, short connecting rod, you're going to have this very responsive underfoot uh, engine feel. Um, a lot of people will complain about the Volvo or Detroit maybe being a little lackluster on, on the pedal, the responsiveness, and that's by design. You, you know um, a good they're analogy They're not looking here. to win races. They're out there to, to, to last longer and be more efficient. Uh, Go ahead. A good analogy in my mind is, is the difference between a two-stroke and a four-stroke motorcycle is one of the best examples. They, the the two-stroke sure. acts a lot like the, the Cummins architecture. It's snappy. It's responsive. Um, the four-stroke is kind yeah. of a little slow to respond, but there's an awful lot of torque down there. Yes, yes. And and so this is why we get into the different gearing that we get into to, to leverage the advantages of, of each platform and, and uh, you know, what they can do. And then this also gets into what you're talking about as far as weight. As we get out to like 150,000 pounds, uh, unless there's a lot of empty miles involved, there's probably no real advantages to downspeeding because, remember, how do we figure horsepower? Horsepower is RPM times torque divided by 5252, and it requires X amount of horsepower to move 150,000 pounds on the flat. And so you are going to have to meet you know, minimum RPM and torque requirements in order to move that. Right. And that's just not in the realm of downspeeding. Now, if he's running some empty gear becomes, you're always loaded at 150,000 pounds. There is zero point in putting together a downsped powertrain to attempt to pull that type of weight. Excellent explanation. Good stuff. I, you know, we, I have got, uh, I've got so much I wanted to talk to you about this week. I've got notes everywhere. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Just a, a couple of other things that, um, I just wanted to touch on very quick. So I have, uh, Travis in the truck with me now we're running some team stuff and, um, we're doing very well fuel mileage wise. I'm, I'm just really impressed with the truck here running lately and it'll probably sound like I'm bragging here and I guess I probably am a <laughs> little bit. So when, Good. Let's hear it. <laughs> when we go, when we go to my, my 30, 60 and uh, 90 in my lifetime, so I'm at 11.13 on the 30, 10.89 on the 60, 10.69 on the 90 and 10.29 on the lifetime on 78,000 wow. miles. And keep in mind, keep in mind, I am pulling a lot of Schneider trailers doing this without advanced aerodynamics on. They got belly fairings, wow. and that's it. They're running re recap duels. You know, nothing, nothing special about these trailers that we're we're pulling around. Um, so, what's really kind of cool is when I go back to when you look at the activity section. My last 10 fill-ups, and listen to this shit. So let's start at August 12th. We're at 11.20 miles per gallon on the fill, wow. then 11 11.16, 10.73, 11.14, 11.62, 10.86, 10.32, 11.62, 10.77, and 11.25 over the last month. You know the Pulling, biggest thing I, Schneider trailers you know the biggest <laughs> thing I get out of that? how consistently tight that range is. Absolutely. 
absolutely. There is very little variation these, there, and that's unusual. Yeah, a lot of these miles were run from Ohio to North Carolina up and down the West Virginia Turnpike. Yeah, that's Im- that's really <laughs> impressive. That is really impressive. Uh, that, that, that is cool stuff. Yeah, yeah it is. Let's, uh, let, I, I should have done so, this earlier. I'm bringing Alec mm-hmm. in so uh, we could just all talk. Alec, good morning. Gotcha. Good, good morning, guys. How are you? Good. I, I was going to bring you in right away, but then Joel started talking, and I was mesmerized, and I forgot. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. This, this kind of mesmerization makes me very happy. That's right. That's right. We love this stuff. Um, couple things. Couple exactly. things. Like I said, I'm kind of all over the board today. We got a lot going on, but um, I, I want to throw this one out because I and Joel, you've got a really good perspective on this because you're right there. I used to live there. I talked earlier this morning. I ran a lot of that. I never hauled cars, but I ran a lot of automotive freight. If you truck in Northeast mm-hmm. Ohio, it's hard not to. Um, mm-hmm. But this is a good point. Correct. Craig Fuller from Freightwaves just posted this. Um, he said, if I were a trucking company, I would reject any loads inbound to Detroit or Northern Ohio this week. That's a good piece of advice. That part of the trucking world is going to be a mess right now. There's going to be gotcha. an awful lot of trucks Brother, in there with, you- with, with no freight all of a sudden. Um, I, I think that's a really good piece sure. of advice. I would avoid going inbound to that area for a while. Yeah, there, there has been a little bit of diversification from, you know, when we were first running around, everything was automotive yeah. part. I mean, yeah. virtually everything that moved between Detroit and Youngstown had something to do, you know, with the automotive world. There's a little more diversification out there, but I, yeah, he's probably right. It, it may be good to good to shy away. I, I, I'm not going to be in the area. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it, you know, if we think about it, three automakers and all the freight that goes into that place every day, and I was just talking about this, that used to be really good freight. A lot of those, I had I had like wire spools coming out of um, Warren, you know, right there by Youngstown. I was coming out of Warren with wire spools, mm-hmm. taking them over, and then you take the empty spools mm-hmm. back. I, there's a lot of that kind of freight in the automotive where they they ship things in containers where the container goes back empty. Correct. Yes. Which is really nice yes. freight. You know, zero empty miles. Yeah. Just run. Yeah. So, so when all that stops, there's a lot of trucks in that area all of a sudden saying, what are we going to haul now? And they'll be grabbing everything in the area. So I, I think that was really good thinking to, I, yeah. to just watch that area for a while. Now, um, yeah, you may want to extend that out to Buffalo as well because they've got could, some automotive stuff. But Buffalo to Detroit, yeah, good yeah. thinking. Yeah, you're right. Uh, just just the idea of you know keep an eye on that that area and be careful. Something else. I um, I posted this. Um, the other day, just to kind of help people, we know rates are, are, they're not horrible right now, honestly, but they're down. There's no doubt. Volumes are down. I don't think that's getting better anytime soon. So I posted this. I said, look, we're, we're about to see $5 a gallon diesel as an average again. It's already higher than that in a lot of parts of the country. And I said, just think about this. For every one mile per hour you slow down right now, you gain a tenth of a mile per gallon. That is still a pretty darn accurate number. Um, if you can slow down 10 miles per hour, and I see an awful lot of trucks on the road, the majority of them, that could easily slow down 10 miles an hour. 
Um, the savings right now is $11,000 a year. $11,000. So, let, so uh, let me reinforce what you're talking about here real quick. So I'm in the truck with Travis. We're doing a lot of time-sensitive team freight. You know, it's critical right. to make deliveries and whatnot. Um, we're still able to run 57 mile an hour. The majority of this stuff every <laughs> so, once in a while, we have to kick it in the ass. In so, fact, we are ahead of schedule right now. And I'm sitting at a truck stop talking to you because I have enough cushion to make my delivery where it's not going to be a problem. So yeah, uh, if you really truly are interested in getting efficient, you in most instances can slow your truck down. You, well, I was going to say you won't believe the responses I got, but you will. You know exactly the response I got. Somebody <laughs> no, actually I, said. I know. I, I, get, I get tortured with this stuff all the time. I know. Yep. <laughs> Somebody actually posted, oh, my God, and lose $20,000 in revenue? You're an idiot. Well, wait a minute. Sure. Please show lose me that, how you're going revenue. to lose $20,000 in revenue. Please but show me a scenario. Even <laughs> even if they did, oh, I that is a top-line right. number. How much, of that, right. how much of that revenue is a guy running 75 mile an hour that gets five miles to the gallon and has maintenance costs? You know, out the wazoo. How much of that is he actually keeping? Yep, yep. And, and so that, I don't, I don't have to give yeah. <laughs> yeah, Maybe there you go. Here's maybe the, here's the other response: the people who are struggling can't afford to slow down. All right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. We're hemorrhaging money. Let's make it up make in it volume. Up in volume. Jesus. Right. Uh, so one of the things that we're very familiar with is a new startup, obviously, and we're starting up right at the worst possible time. One of our key strategies to succeed in a crappy market was to slow down, manage time, and you know really work the load board hard and not take every 45,000-pound you know, uh, load coming down the pike. So I, I posted, and an, we, we've been very successful at that. Absolutely. I, I posted another, uh, same, same concept that, you know, I read an ATBS is putting out their numbers for owner operators. They're going to do a webinar next week. We'll get all the details, but they released some of them and they're awful. The, the average owner operator was grossing, uh, I should go back to the numbers. Um, they were only netting uh, $33,000 in the first six months. That is a horrible number right now. I, I, I can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. So, I, I, But what mm -hmm. it also said was they're now running more miles to try to make up for it. And I said, yeah, there you it, go. It, it sounds right, but it's totally bass backwards. I said, what I every time there was a downturn, I got hyper focused on controlling cost. Yes. And I got very picky about when I was going to work. You're 100 percent right. The guys that are trying to run more miles to offset the situation, they're just digging the hole deeper and they're digging it faster. That's all they're doing. When we slow down, if the industry would slow down across the board, <laughs> capacity tightens, rates go up. This isn't difficult. But so, yet you get these guys that insist, I'm going to run even faster because the rates are low. 
And it's it's just digging the hole. It's digging the hole for the industry. Now, if you want to be smart about this and slow your truck down and work on fuel efficiency, and you know, and you can get eight, nine, so, 10, 11 miles per gallon, you do quite well, even so, even in the the downturn here. Yeah, you can. Let, let me give you a couple exact quotes on this topic. So here's one of the responses. But what about the time you're going to lose on your 70? Time is more valuable than fuel. Well, I'd like to see that calculation. Show it to me. Um, there's only so many loads you can do before the end of a pay period. You need to get as many loads in before the week is over. So hammer down, truckers, and get as many loads as you can. That's one quote. Now, here's another one. When that you're is, living check to that check. That's true in, a, in an up economy. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. When, when you're living check to check, saving fuel is the last thing on your mind, especially if you're leasing oh a truck. God. Every week you start off $2,500 in the hole. Nobody has time to be driving 55 miles an hour. Oh, my God. So what, what okay. we're so, seeing here is total <laughs> black and white thinking. They can't understand nuance. Well, no, they, it, it, Kevin, it's it's worse than that. It this is, is worse. pure right. ignorance. <laughs> You're right. I know. Yeah, this is. Yeah, yeah. There's no nuance here. This is just ignorance. We know fuel is your biggest expense. We know that your cost for fuel increases exponentially as speed increases. We also know on the newer emission engines that it dramatically drives up your regular maintenance cost, and it dramatically increases the chance for the catastrophic failure of the emission system. Those three things all by themselves should say, slow the damn truck down. (laughs) That's what it should say to everybody. But nobody hears that message for whatever reason. And then it's the capacity thing. The faster we go in a down market, the longer we prolong the pain bottom line. These are the guys that are the problem. They are not the answer. They are the problem. Yeah. Let me, let me throw out one more thing that would probably piss them off, but I'm sorry. It's true. Um, if you're leasing a truck, I'm not taking your advice. Sorry. You've already told me you don't know how to run a business. I agree. Yes, I agree. I agree. I agree. I posted my fuel efficiency numbers the other day, and of course, I get the you know the cowboys and the rednecks. Oh, that's a bunch of shit. So I get the one. I'm laughing my ass off. There ain't no truck made gets 11 miles a gallon. I do it every single every day. Sing- Here's what I love. You know, I used to I, I used to throw out a challenge, and I can't even remember what this was about. But it was a situation like this where I would post things and people would say, oh, you're full of shit. There's no way that's true. And I I can't remember what. Maybe it was fuel mileage, but I don't remember. But my challenge was, look, let let me prove it to you. And here's how we're going to do it. You and I are each going to put $10,000 into an escrow account. And the winner gets the $20,000. If I win, it's going to some charity of my choice. If you win, you can have it. I'll prove what I just posted. I, I'll bring you here. I'll, you can watch it all happen, and I'll prove it. I never got a single person that would ever take me up on that offer. Well, and, and to your point that you're, you're talking about here, Alec has just put together a very nice article about data, understanding your data, how to collect it, how to track it, how to cross-collaborate. Uh, 
and and make sure that things are accurate. And and we do all these things on a regular basis. You know this. Our our data stream is probably as clean as anybody's in the industry Absolutely. for real world data. Yep. There's no there's no such thing as a, a purely clean data set, but we're we're as good as anybody out there. And, you know, for, for people to say, oh, it can't be done. And, well, the big fleets can only get nine and a half. And there's no way you can be thinking, dude, the big fleets hire us to learn. How exactly. To do right. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and the, the difference between the best. He just fleet, gave away our business model. Yeah. Yeah. The, the difference between, you know, the best fleet out there, somebody like a Messiah Valley, somebody who's really put a lot of effort into this. And maybe you're right. They get their fleet average to nine or something. So how do you do 11? Well, one of the ways you do it is doing the things that fleets just can't. There are still some things that should, that would save fuel, but it just doesn't make sense in a fleet environment. Correct. They always have to spec the lowest right. common denominator right. or the, the, the weakest link in the chain. And when you have unskilled drivers coming into your operation, you have to spec certain things onto a truck to accommodate that lower skill set. So that that is absolutely our advantage as yes. owner operators yes. is that we can be far more efficient, even with mediocre equipment, than a fleet will ever be. But yet the predominant thought out there amongst drivers is, oh, fleets are way more efficient than an owner. Well, the only reason that's true is because collectively we're ignorant. We don't use our heads. We don't think we don't, we're, I don't know if we're not educated well enough or what the hell's going on, but the majority of us out here, we're not, we're more worried about Chrome and how long our hood is and how big our stacks are and, and how big our turbo is. And if we've got 28 speeds that we shift manually, you know, we're worried about dumb shit and right. we're not taking and care of business. And it, it's unfortunate. One of the other comments in this thread, which you, you know, certainly expect, and I knew it was coming. And of course it did. Somebody jumped right in and said, slow down my ass, just raise your rates. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Jeez, okay. 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 Yeah. Now, uh, Alec, uh, I'm raising my rate <laughs> to seven bucks a mile. We're not starting a truck for anything less than seven bucks a mile. Oh so let's call all our people today, and that's right. that's our new rate, and we'll be fine. You're right. What an easy solution. God, why doesn't every business oh, sure. think about this? Yeah. Just raise your rates. Yeah. Oh my yeah, gosh. What the hell? Why not? <laughs> Yeah. You mean I've been doing it wrong all this time? It sounds like we've all been hey, doing it wrong. Listen, yeah. If if we didn't haul cheap freight, we wouldn't have to worry about fuel economy, right? <laughs> well, uh, well, okay. So since you went down that road, how often do we hear when the rates are really good, people say, well, I, you know, I don't have to, you know, do all that arrow shit. I make enough money. Right. And then when the rates are low, I can't afford this arrow shit. I'm barely, you know, I'm one, <laughs> right, one, right. one tire repair from going out of business. You know, one flat tire before I'm broke. You know, I have heard that scenario probably from six different people lately. And I've never heard that argument before in my life. So I'll post, you know, where I'm running from and I'll show elevation and the fuel mileage and everything. And here lately, there are guys getting on there and go, yeah, but if you get a flat tire, you're, you're going to go broke. What? 
what the hell are you talking about? Like, what? Like, yeah, yeah, that's I, their argument now. If I, if I get a flat tire, I'm going to go broke. And I'm thinking, what, where Joel, the hell is this coming from? Joel, I, I'm pretty sure, uh, in, in, well, in, as extreme well, as this sounds. Well, hold on. We, oh, go ahead, Alec. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, we had a tire repair just last week. <laughs> it cost me seven years. here. I, I, I was going to make a more outrageous statement. I, I'm pretty sure in your operation, Joel, somebody could steal your truck. Your insurance company could refuse to pay you and, and you wouldn't be out of business. You'd survive that. No, <laughs> no I'd, I'd hate to write that check. I know I would, too, but I, I'm pretty sure you guys could probably handle it if you had to. What's this? T- uh, one flat tire and you're out of business? Come on. Yeah, who yeah. are these people? Yeah, you might get a flat tire. You'll be out of business. I, Let, did, well, yeah. I, it's it's we know who it is. Yeah. It is the guy that they live. It's the lifestyle. You know, it, it's it's all about cool factor. It's it's what what are they smiles per gallon instead of miles per gallon or whatever the heck <laughs> oh, they yeah. say, which never yeah. never made it miles per yeah, mile. So, oh my yeah. god! I, I guess I go to the bank and if I smile yeah. real nice, they'll just take that instead I of a truck. So. I, I guess so. How, I don't know how hey, that works, well, but hey, I know you guys I, are busy. I have to give credit to. Go ahead. I have to. I have to give credit to Al Hammerson, who said this past week. He was at the Walcott Truck Show. Uh, a little bit ago, a couple of weeks ago. And the guy says, well, that's a plastic truck. And he goes, I bet you have more plastic in your truck than I do in mine. He goes, that's impossible. You know, this is a Kenworth, blah, blah, blah. So he takes us to his credit card. How much plastic are you putting into your truck every, you know, every month? You know, yeah. with the fuel ups. He says, a lot more than I am. And there you go. I thought that was a great, that is a great, great line. line. So I, I have a... to give credit to Al for that one. I, yeah. I, <laughs> so kudos to Al on are. that one. Um, I know you guys are busy, so you probably aren't reading all of my social media posts, but but I posted one yesterday. I'm going to read the story right now because it's pretty short. But this really kind of sums up everything we talk about. We were talking about it during the good times. We were warning people about what was coming. And this story, I, I swear, in one paragraph wraps up the whole thing. So listen to this. And this was from CDL Life. This is another one of those stories about how bad it is in trucking right now. Quote, the shortage is just something that big companies make up, said Jacqueline Jolly, who entered the trucking industry with her husband in 2020 after their construction business slowed. So before we get into any of the details about their trucking operation, I already know a lot about them. Right. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. Yep. Why do you have to get Agreed. out of your business because your industry slowed? That happens to every industry all the time. We have economic cycles. So already I know they really don't uh, know how to run a business. Well, Kevin, I'm kind of thinking mm-hmm. the construction industry just makes that up. It wasn't really <laughs> slow. They just made that up. <laughs> so uh, we, we know yeah. that they started a business in an industry when it was booming. And then when it slowed down, they couldn't survive. We talk about this all the time. So now let's go on to their trucking mm-hmm. business and see what they've done. So Jolly says that she and her husband were getting paid as much as $5 a mile when they started trucking in 2020. Diesel prices were low and the pay was high. So they decided to take out a loan and purchase a second truck 
for $80,000 so they could hire another driver. <laughs> Why not? Why what not? could go wrong, right? right. Soon, though, <laughs> diesel prices well, they Well, they already knew how to use a shovel. Exactly. Yeah, and they're good at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dig, so, they had to dig in the hole. Soon, though, uh, diesel prices jumped and rates fell cutting their earnings in more than half. Boy, would I love to see the numbers when they talk about this stuff, but you never get that. Um, The couple ended up having Mm -hmm. to give their second truck back, now worth only $30,000, and they are still reeling from the debt they racked up during the boom and bust cycle. Well, hold on a second. Why were they racking up debt during the boom cycle? Yeah, Where, where's, where's the money? Just, just here's just a, just as a kind of a a reference point here. So I've been in the, the trucking industry for roughly thirty five years, and it's it's taken me thirty four of those years to finally decide. You know what? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and cautiously dip my toe in and, and get my own truck. <laughs> um, <laughs> this dude never was in trucking, buys a truck and thinks, hell, it's a great idea to buy another just one. Buy can't another imagine one. he went broke. I just can't, I not just only can't imagine buy that. another like, one, but buy it right when the prices are through the roof. We had never, ever seen. Tri- you've worse. been in it 35 years. I'm coming up on 40. Alec, you've been around a long time. Those prices were the worst truck prices I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. So, does this article go into detail about what he done to increase his efficiency and how he manages his time and how he strategically <laughs> picks lows? Does it does it talk about but, all that? Hey, you know when they name people like this in the article, and I call them out it's too. It's the broker's you, fault. You, yeah, you, you put your name on this interview, so don't get mad at me for calling you out. But I do more than call them out. I offer, I offer to help no charge. I will do your accounting for you. I will show you what I did, why I did it, and I'll teach you how to use those numbers to stop doing this. And I haven't had a single person take me up on it yet. I, you know, it, it is so odd because some of this stuff is so easy. It's so simple, but I don't know if it's pride, if it's ego or what. How I get pushed back from guys when I say, Look, if you got your own authority and you're working the load boards, you're taking your own loads. Start looking for lighter loads. Oh, I ain't doing that. The light loads don't pay shit. Uh, what the uh, hell are you talking uh, about? <laughs> light loads don't don't. Pay. It, I, I I don't under. It's it's like you lose part of your manhood if you haul a light load. You're you're somehow not a real truck driver, and they won't do it. Uh, it and I, so, I don't know what they base uh, the stuff on. Historically, uh, we I'll, can all I'll name what's that better? The goofy heavy loads that don't yeah. pay anything yep yeah in our experience right right that uh, you know yeah yeah potatoes (laughs) you know our sugar right you know in our experience uh, the lighter loads pay better they are generally the higher value loads require special handling exactly higher level of security that's right actually showing up on time you know um Here's something else about those loads that I'm sure you guys could talk about all day. Those heavy loads that we all talk about, the commodities, the 
water, the soda, the sugar, the flour, mm-hmm. all that stuff are commodities. They're cheap. They're also, there's tens of thousands of that stuff that ships every day, and that's where you end up in lines and waiting and all the problems. These more yes. specialized loads, they, they take care of the drivers because they really want that freight. There isn't 30 of those loads coming in today. There's one of them coming in this week, and they really need it. And, and yes, in general, you're correct. That that's right. That is that's exactly right. And and look, there's nothing wrong with doing that that heavier stuff no, if you can do it efficiently. Fine. Right. I'm I am very very confident I could run those heavy loads at lower rates and we would still make it just fine. It, it's obviously not my first choice, but if, if I was forced into that, I could do that. Yeah. I would I would look at it as a challenge. I wouldn't right. necessarily be going, oh wow, look how much money I'm making. But it would it would be a challenge. Yeah. I'm going to do this just to prove all these people wrong that says this can't be done. Yeah, and all these people, you know, we're going broke, and not one of them talks about fuel efficiency. In fact, they argue just like you had mentioned earlier, just for the opposite. Everything you should do, they make these very passionate arguments against, and I just. I have a hard time understanding that. It's, it's it's just common sense what we're talking about, slowing down to to reduce the capacity in the system to help bring the rates up. Fuels, obviously, that's your biggest expense, especially when it's at five bucks a gallon or whatever we're at now. Um, speed does more than just save you fuel. Yes. It re- dramatically yeah. reduces maintenance costs on emission engines, and it also reduces your 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 potential liability in an accident because yeah. we all know the speed itself doesn't increase the frequency of an accident, but it absolutely impacts the outcome of an accident. And I'm sure we'll have somebody go, oh, no, if I hit somebody at 75, I'm going straight through them and it's not going to hurt me. You know, I, you, we'll hear something like that. But, um, so, here's you know, the there's, other... just, there's a lot to this and, and I just don't understand people's mindset on this. I, I get a lot of venom from, from people over this stuff, and I don't, I don't get it. I, I, I don't either. Here's another way I tried to approach well, it. I, I said, look, I, I want to point something out to you, and it's not hard to see. Now we have social media. So look at the people who keep pushing back against any of these ideas about efficiency or doing things better. They're the ones who are always posting that they're struggling, that things aren't working. They're always complaining. They're usually blaming somebody else. And I said, look, let me bring you 10 owner operators that aren't struggling, that are doing great in this economy. Mm -hmm. So I started posting full business reports. We'll we'll get, look, here are the numbers. And I used Matt as my first example. Immediately, it's like, oh, well, cherry pick one guy. Everybody can't do that. That's kind of the point. That's how business works. When you can figure out how to do things that other people can't, that's when you're going to be successful. So why do you keep pushing back against this idea? Yeah, a a lot of the problem in our industry, I think, is is it's attitude. It's it's mindset. We can't, can't, can't. Whenever, whenever, whenever things get hard, can't, can't, can't do it, can't yep. be done, can't do this. I'm so sick of hearing the word can't. And, and uh, Travis even, just told me, he said, you know, my, he said, his dad said, you know, it's, it's not can't, it should be won't. 
I won't. won't. That's exactly I won't. right. It's not that it can't be done. That's it's that, a good point. That they won't do it. And I think I, I think that it's just a, a great analogy. That it, is. It's not can't. It's won't. Just won't. It, it just substitute it. Because when they say you can't do that, and I say, well, look, here's somebody who did. It, it's in black and white. Uh, well, everybody can't do that. Well, well, no, everybody won't do that. Yes. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. yeah that, I like that's that what line. it boils down to. There's, there's no... No such word as can. It just won't. That's what it boils down to in, in the trucking industry. There's there's pride. It, it, it's ego. It, it's I, I don't know. You know, a lot of people think they get into trucking, especially as owner operators, for the freedom of the road and this and that. And this it's romanticized bullshit about what trucking is, and it's all nonsense. It's a business, and it, it, it's hardcore. It's cutthroat, and it will kick your ass if you don't do your homework. Bottom I, line. I, how many times have you heard this? Well, it's it's not a job for me. It's a lifestyle. So what? the hell does that well, have to do with anything yeah, I, I, why yeah. does that stop you from yeah. being efficient in this lifestyle I, uh, the statement doesn't even make any sense to me <laughs> you you can still do it right, right. you don't have to do it wrong <laughs> just because it's a lifestyle right. <laughs> i mean come on i know right jesus yeah. I, th- I i think it's even more more simple than all of that so we talked about a couple of weeks ago kevin how profit equals revenue minus expenses. Yeah. So yeah. everybody looks at the shiny object and says, look at, look at how much money, you know, they talk about race, but nobody is looking at the other side of the equation. Like Matt does, for example, keeping your expenses down. Right. Uh, right. That's something that we focus on, you know, because there are times when we have to, you know, people say, Oh, you take, um, I think Joel posted and he did it quite deliberately just to, frankly piss everybody off and, and grab reaction he said hey look i get this load off the load board blah 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 i'm going from ohio to north carolina now nobody asked anything about what type of load that was why we were doing it it was a fill-in load we were already going there empty so it right. didn't matter whether we took a load so everything was gravy and then they said well now you have to go back empty no actually we're going to do the exact same in reverse gonna, why would we go anywhere empty we'll pick up a lot of food i mean it's like uh i just you know and i don't remember what the load paid it, it was over a I don't know. It was what two eighty a mile. Two eighty six. I'm not two eighty six a mile. Yeah, it was. It was a. It was a pretty good load anyway. Right. It was short miles. I got crucified. I got crucified for two eighty six a mile. Uh, that's. I mean, guys God, are like me. Up. These guys that own fleet. And and, and but here, and here's the thing. It's guys that own fleets that have. Uh, a, a parking area they have to maintain. They have an office they have to maintain. They have a shop they have to maintain. They have all this overhead. Well, of course they can't run for the right. roads that I could run for and still be profitable. This guy's like, oh, I, I won't start unless I'm getting, you know, the 475 a mile. And they, well, I got a fleet of 12 trucks. Well, of course you won't. You can't. Correct. You got a fleet of 12 trucks. You probably got, well, I mean, regardless, so specialized, specialized platform, yeah. whatever. It doesn't really make any difference. A fleet is going to have completely different structure, pricing structure, and and profit margins than what an individual owner operator can very comfortably run at 286 a mile today. And this guy's like, oh, that doesn't even cover your operate. That more than covers my operating expenses. (laughs) I said, said, at 11 miles a gallon, 
I said that more than covers my operating hey, expenses. Let, let me tell you why Jeez, now, now this has kind of been a big number floating around, why they will say that. Well, that doesn't even cover operating expenses. Here's something I'm seeing an awful lot of. So there's, I've talked about that new owner-operator association. They've joined forces with some other group. I don't even remember who they are. And they're planning a protest at Hunts Point. So, okay, here we go again with the protests. Let's see what they're, what they're asking for. They have a list of seven or eight demands, um, stuff like bathroom access and parking, you know, so that they don't screw up their hours of service. It's some weird stuff like that. But then there's a couple more in there. Um, here's one that I just thought was hilarious. Um, imagine what this process would be like if this were ever to come about. They want a grievance process between shippers, receivers, carriers, and brokers. A, a national grievance process where whoever has some sort of a complaint about one of the other parties in the transaction brings it to this board, and we... What the hell are, are they me? thinking? That might be the most so, ignorant sorry, idea I've um, ever heard. It, what's the name of that union? Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. If these were if these were company drivers, I completely I completely understand. Okay, you're a company driver. If you want to unionize, go ahead. Have at it. Right. But There's already you, a process out there. If you are there. an owner operator, see this is this is the thing. Everybody's supposed to have different ideas on how to run their business and and different motivations and different ways of doing things. That's what's That's great about point. being an owner operator. Right. You've got multiple different viewpoints on how to do this. So now you're going to coerce everybody and force them into <laughs> one point of view. It gets better, though. That's coercion. It gets better. Yeah. yeah so here's their next demand. Oh, and good. this tells you how out of touch they are with both business in general and numbers in this industry. Here's what they're demanding. And their wording tells you they have a company driver mentality. Their wording is, we demand a minimum wage. That's the word they use. We demand a minimum oh, wage of $5 a mile and or they don't use the word and oh they use God. or which is a little confusing or $300 an hour so i okay. just i did i Let's did a little math yeah second. let me i already did so I'll give you the yeah, numbers, yeah. and then you can add to <laughs> okay. it. I said, look, if, if it's... I, I'm not a math whiz, right. but this ain't work. <laughs> right. If it's, let's start with the $5 yeah. a mile first, because I don't understand the or $300 an hour, so we'll set that aside for a second. At 5 bucks a mile, all I'd have to do is run 110,000 miles, which is kind of the average in the industry, I think, still. Um, I, I now mm -hmm. make what five hundred and fifty thousand dollars gross. Hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, on one truck. So mm -hmm. I said, okay, um, using my math, knowing how to really, really control expenses, if I have that kind of revenue, I'm going to have four hundred thousand dollars left. I did the math. I, it wouldn't even be that difficult. <laughs> you are now making truck drivers with a ninth grade education one of the highest paid employees in the country. They'd be in the top 2% with these numbers. You know what their response was? Their response was, 
How did you figure that? It's going to cost. They came up with a number that they wouldn't have anywhere near that much left. They came up with a cost of operation of two dollars and fifty five cents a mile. Uh, of course, of course. Well, they're well, what, they, what they did and, there is uh, <laughs> well, but that, that's easy. So, in fact, Kevin, I'm going to use your numbers. You, several years ago, you said that excluding a truck payment and excluding driver wages, <laughs> yep. if you're making a dollar a mile, <laughs> you'd be very good if you're achieving fifty percent correct to the bottom line. Yep, still true so, today. They're using your numbers to get the 250. But if you use ATBS's average numbers of 28.5% to the bottom line pre tax, so yeah. that brings but, you down to what, $1.42 a mile? Yeah. Well, here's you another know, so thing they're missing of, of profit. And $1.42 a mile is still damn good money for a truck driver. I'm sorry. That Those are incredible sure. numbers. But yeah, that's right. But you're, you're exactly yeah. right. You obviously pay attention to all the numbers. But here's something else they're missing. That formula is based on the average revenue that trucks make. If you start to exceed mm-hmm. that gross revenue by a lot, that falls apart. Yeah, because then, just your your yeah. mileage pay went up. That has zero impact on your expenses. Right. So you better be a lot oh, higher. It, right. Right. I, I, there's a few things that I think would, would be a much better solution for this group. So why don't we just reform company truck driver pay and all these guys that are thinking like company drivers just go back to being company drivers under a reform pay system so they're paid fairly for all their time, which I, I would be all for. I agree. And and then before yep. before they, you know, you always say, why do we have authority? They should make people that want to get operating authority, they have to have an accounting class and a business class of some type before they grant them authority. I, so, I, so, yeah. so this nonsense but, doesn't continue to, to you know, propagate itself. I mean, this is yeah. just nonsense. It is. It, Pure it, and simple. Right. Yeah. So we have, we have somebody who failed in one business line of business who comes into this business and they're failing and they're still, still seeking someone else to blame. Correct. Um, and then the media jumps all over like, I'm like, oh, oh my well, God, these skilled business people. It doesn't sound like they were all that skilled to me. I, they, I don't they're, know. They're very, they're very skilled excavators. Yes. yes <laughs> there you go. That's right. they're, they're good at, they're good at well, using a shovel and digging holes. That's well, that's what they're where good I, at. That's where I get all these stories from. Yeah. It's from trucking media. Trucking media goes out and, and, and the way yeah. they write these no, stories. No, they do. They it, find all. Yeah. And, and all these damn sob stories and oh my God. And it always makes it sound as though it's the system. That's the problem. And what I try to say is, wait a minute. If the system was the problem, nobody would be able to succeed. I will bring you hundreds of owner operators that are succeeding right now. How can the system be that broken? Yeah, it's. I I had pointed something very similar to that out. I can't remember the exchange I was having on social media of just, just exactly what you were talking about. And I said, look, Kevin Rutherford tracks a lot of stuff. Oh, he ain't shit. And he doesn't know what he's talking about. And he's going to cherry pick this stuff. And I'm like, come on. The dude's been around. I, it, it, it is what it is. You know, know. what I mean? I, it just... I mean, even if you don't like a person or you have a personality conflict or whatever the case may be, 
it, the facts are facts. You've been here a very long time. You have a successful track record and you track data. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's make the argument that maybe your data stream isn't exactly clean. Well, nobody is. Right, but it's not. I'll, I'll tell you it's not. To what you're looking at. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. But use some common sense so, and understand that data that you see may not be entirely accurate, but you've been around the industry enough. You benchmark with other people. You've got a feel for what's going on. And, you know, you kind of use your common sense when you're looking at a, a particular yeah. data stream. and. And then you make the decision on it. This gets way worse. This gets way worse because here's how they look at this. When when we say, you know, look, we have data. If you do this, this happens. If you do this, this happens. We can show it over and over and over. Not only do they not see the value of the data because they'll tell you you're cherry picking or whatever. It's worse than that. They now are on this big kick that all the data is wrong and it's wrong on purpose and it's right. wrong to hurt I, them. Oh, I've been hearing that. I've been hearing that. Yeah. Everybody's forging their data right, right. in order to pick on owner operators. And somebody, somebody said that to me that, well, you obviously don't know anything about fleet operations. I said, dude, look, I worked at very high level inside a fleet and never once did we sit down and hold a meeting saying, look, we got six local owner operators. How are we going to screw them over? Exactly. Never once did that meeting happen. It never happened. If you're so busy taking care of your own business, you don't have time to worry about what the owner operators are doing. I will guarantee you none of these mega fleets are sitting around going, these pesky owner operators, how are we going to get rid of them? That's not <laughs> happening. It's just, not. in fact, it, they actually like that of course because they it do. helps them from time to time. Yes. So uh, yeah. I just, uh, yeah, all the data is wrong, it, no matter what. It, it, oh, did you read to have a disclaimer? Well, for what? <laughs> yeah, they have a disclaimer. <laughs> all, there, is, there is no such thing in the real world as a 100% clean and accurate data stream. No. Always going to be errors. There's always going to be mistakes. That's what the disclaimer's for. Nobody's claiming that if you look at this data and you analyze it, you use it, you're going to be successful. That's not how this works. Not even close. You You, use that as a reference point, and then you try to collaborate that with 10 other reference points, and then you say, yeah, I I agree with 70% of what this guy's saying. You know, know, all all of us here... It's asinine. All of us here have been through the up and down cycles in trucking. We can go back, we can talk about them all. The, the good news is we all survived them. That that should tell you something. We've been through all of these cycles and we're still here. We're, we're in business. It, many people don't make it through that. What we've been talking about for the last five years kind of waited. We knew this was coming. And I kept saying the longer this run-up happens, the bigger the crash is going to be. The more people that get sucked in during the good times, the worse it's going to be. And what we're seeing is the worst I've seen in, in my time in this industry. And it's why there's so many of these people that we could tell these stories all day long this time. Oh, there's no doubt. And, and Kevin, and I know you remember this. You've seen it um, back in the day when things got tough. What is the first thing that all fleets done? Everybody slowed down. Yes. When fuel went up, They're- everybody speeds. They, they slowed down. Everybody done that. And it done two things. It reduced their, their fuel and maintenance costs. 
but it also tightened capacity, capacity to help drive rates back up. It, I, I, but I talk about their that. friggin' mind when you say slow down to tighten up capacity. Everybody just loses their mind. I talked about that Volvo I, I, that uh, I bought from yeah. Swift. That was the first truck that caught my attention on fuel economy. I bought that truck um, mm-hmm. after a month, and I, you know, do my accounting like I'm supposed to. I actually called the driver who was driving that truck and said, "You must have missed fuel receipts." And he said, "No, I didn't. I turned everything in." And I said, "I, I don't think so, because you spent an awful lot." And I didn't understand fuel economy all that well back then. And and I kept looking at the number, going, "Something's wrong. How, how could my fuel cost on the, all three trucks were doing the same thing?" Why is my fuel cost so low? Right. That truck was governed right, at 57 right. miles an hour. That was yes. Swift's policy back then. Yeah. 57 governed yeah. at 50. Imagine a fleet governing a truck at 57 today. What would happen? Drivers would lose their mind. Yeah. They'd be ripped. It, well, right. Well, they'd <laughs> yeah, be ripped, but yeah, yeah. They, would, they would lose their mind. <laughs> they would lose well, their mind. Just, but, uh, yeah, but, yeah, just but here's the thing. Going to Joel's earlier comment, you know, Joel and I have written many articles about driver pay reform yeah. amongst the fleet and company drivers. And that would, so Swift at the time obviously had a driver pay plan that supported the strategy of the slowing the, the trucks down. Right. And so you have to think out of the box. It's not just a, a one shot deal where, Oh, we're just going to mandate the trucks down to 57 miles an hour. Good As point. Joel said, right. The driver retention would become a severe issue. Right. Well, you fix that issue on the other side of that equation. And, so, and so you got to think not strategically forget, yeah. how to implement such a program. Let, let's not forget the fact that if we were to take Swift as an example, and let's say prior to this, their, go, their trucks were governed at 65. Now, all we have to do is take all of the mm-hmm. miles Swift runs and show the mm-hmm. difference in mm-hmm. cost between 57 and 65 and there's the money you're going to use to fix your driver pay problems sure right yes yes and it, it, it's and and you still have money left it, over right yes it's it's maintenance and downtime yeah, exactly, and there's a, right. there's a whole right. lot of other things that Insurance, are significant no yeah. figures but you know uh, going going back mm-hmm. to an earlier point that we made where all these people believe that all the mega carriers that get together, you know, the ATA gets together and they sit around and they plan how they're going to put owner operators out of business. If they truly done that, <laughs> the first thing they would do, the first thing they would do is they would say, let's encourage them all to run 75 mile an hour. Let's encourage them all to focus only on revenue. <laughs> Those two things will put you out of business. And, and you know why they well, don't have uh, to do uh, that? Uh, because we do it by exactly, right. our own worst yeah. enemy. Right. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. She's so beat. Right. Uh, if, you know, yeah. you, know you, you made the comment at the fleet level, nobody's sitting around having meetings about how to get owner-operators out of business. It doesn't happen. But let's say that some fleet did decide to do it. It would take them about 15 minutes mm-hmm. to look at the whole situation and go, oh, guys, guess what? We don't need to do it. They're already doing it to themselves. Right. Yeah. yeah just <laughs> yeah. leave them alone. Just leave them alone. <laughs> exactly right. right. Yeah. 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 Just get out, exactly get out of right. the way. Yep. yep. They would have a yeah. fleet come in and hire a consulting agency and say, 
let's come up with three strategies to limit, eliminate owner operators. That consulting agency would go to a truck stop and in five minutes, they'd be back to that fleet and said, just leave them, do what they're doing. They'll be done. (laughs) You know, let me give you an example of exactly how that's going. Pump price versus discounted price. Uh, Buying a fuel. You know, the marquee price might be four forty nine a gallon, but you know, after you get the discount, whether the fleet's getting their discounts because they buy 11 million gallons a week, or Joel and I getting uh, the discounts through our NASIC fuel program because they buy 11 million gallons a week. And guess what? You know, that's 60 cents a gallon. I mean, come on. Yeah. Everything yeah. is rigged, if you will, because that's how they justify fuel surcharge. So understand how the game is played and, and equip yourself with the same tools so that you can compete on a level. But a lot of people do not have fuel discount cards or they have, don't have the right ones because of the buying powers, you know, not as large. You might, I know some of the fleet, I know years ago, and this is more than 10 years ago, a certain Phoenix-based carrier offered their lease operators a $0.05 cents per gallon discount when they themselves are probably getting $0.50. Cent. You know what? That's a pretty good plan. But if they go outside and get a NASIC membership, or I don't know if OIDA has something like that, you know, the, the discounts are out there. But if they're not taking advantage of that, um, then they're already starting, you know, talk about fuel economy, they're going 75 miles an hour. So now are they not only buying more fuel, but they're buying it at a higher price. So strike two. Hey, I, I just read something about... Um I don't mean to change the subject, but I'm going to because I just saw this. I didn't realize this. Um, I follow a bunch of guys who are really into the auto industry, like auto dealers and pricing and financing. And um, so I, I follow these guys and they just posted this. I didn't realize it. A simultaneous strike on Ford, GM and Stellantis has never happened in the UAW's 88 year history. Really? I didn't know that. I would have thought for well, sure there was, there was one. I didn't know back. that either. That's kind of a big deal. Especially in the 60s and 70s. Right. It seems like they were on they strike were constantly. constantly. Right. <laughs> and so what that tells me is is mm-hmm. we don't know how to predict what this is going to do. We can't. It's never happened. No, I agree. There, there's I agree. things there we yeah. won't see right. coming. I didn't realize that. Huh. All right, let's yeah. do this. Let's uh, Interesting. let's take so you and the three of us could do this forever. I love this kind of stuff, but uh, let, let's get some calls <laughs> in here. Uh, let's go right. to New Mexico. Tony, welcome to the program. Kevin, hi. Uh, Tesla Trucking here. Um, you started talking about the heavy haul. What happened to the VNZ truck spec on, uh, on Volvo? Have you completely forgotten about that? Because you're pretty gung-ho about the Volvo heavy haul. Oh, I am. And now all of a sudden we're, no, we're sitting upon it with no, that, no, with stop, that last uh, no, what, stop five minutes. All, all Joel said on that was downspeeding is not the strategy for this kind of weight. That doesn't mean we can't build a really efficient truck for this kind of weight, and that's what we're sure. going to do. Sure. Right. Um, we have all the answers. I was going to do it kind of on the fly on the show today. But Ben did a really good job of giving us a lot of data. And did you just glance at it there, Joel? 
I, I have not. Let me open okay. it up. It, it, see if it, I've it, got it it's here. not a big deal, but he, he gave us a lot. So what I'd rather do is is you and I can kind of work on it in the background, and then we'll pre- present a better plan, like sometime next week or something. Because I, I think this is a good exercise, and I want to go through it. So we're we're not saying that you know you can't build a good heavy haul truck. We're just saying down speeding isn't one of the strategies. Right. So the BND, uh, VNX. Go ahead. Yeah, VNX. Um, there, the only way that you would even consider down speeding in an application like that is if you have a lot of empty miles that you're running where you're relatively light. Um, at, at that point, you can leverage the benefits of a downsped powertrain. Typically, vocational applications, it's, it's kind of just the opposite. You want to move in the opposite direction. You, you don't want downsped powertrains. You need to keep momentum up. If you're getting off-road, you get into the loose soil, you get into mud, you know, and you need to make it through a, a soft patch. You need that momentum. You need a few more RPM. This is exactly why we see engines that downsped engines typically have relatively low horsepower, but very high torque, which means they're making horsepower very early in the power band, and it doesn't rev it out and take the power out in the higher RPM range. You see exactly opposite with a vocational engine. You'll see relatively high horsepower with low torque, meaning you have to rev the engine up to get that horsepower, so you need gearing to accommodate that um, and, and they do that because you, you need that momentum and that extra push and horsepower on demand where in an on-highway application, you're trying to leverage moments of momentum and moments of fueling, and you want the reduced friction is more important than the actual um, the horsepower on demand in a vocational application. Would this be an X, I guess, spec? Like, I was ready to hear some... Two two ninety six gear ratios. I don't know, fifteen speed. What is that VNX platform? What kind of engine? Oh, or sure, sure. VNX is um, it's it's the Volvo heavy haul platform. It's got a heavier duty frame. It has some heavier duty suspension options. Um, it does well. I, the Cummins is only going to be available, I think, maybe for another year, and then it's going to be all D thirteen. Uh, you'll get the 13 and the 14 speed I shift. Uh, the 14-speed I-shift has deeper reduction than any manual transmission on the market. Uh, we're 38 to 1 reduction in the low crawler forward and 42 to 1 in reverse. So that allows us to run some gear ratios that will allow us more optimal highway speeds when you are out on the highway empty or happen to maybe be a little bit lighter loaded you can get into overdrive and and lay the engine rpm down a little bit for better efficiency while also having the more traditional gearing in direct or even underdrive at highway speed so when you are hauling that 150,000 pounds you have a whole lot of options going on there <laughs> So that is the spec that Ben uh, Ben's brother would would want to opt for on that application. Is this truck uh, like this is the option Volvo has, and that that's the best one that you can find with for the heavy haul? Well, in in the Volvo world, that's the, if you're going to do something heavy haul, it's going to be a, a VNX or a, a VHD, one of the two. 
Um, probably a VNX if you're going to have a sleeper on it. I don't know if they need a sleeper or not. But um, there, there are multiple different ways to put those heavy haul trucks together because there's very specific requirements and duty cycles with heavy haul stuff. It's very specialized. Each one is pretty much individually engineered. You could go to a dealership and buy something prepackaged. I personally, if I was in that game, I would never do that. I would spec every freaking nut and bolt on that truck, and I would know why every part is on that truck. There would be a reason um, why I put the particular components that I put in the truck for the for the duty cycle that I'm I'm engaged in. I would not let a sales guy spec my truck, um, and I would not buy a prepackaged heavy haul truck. But that's just me, and I'm sure there's guys out there that have done it and made it work. And- he probably was trying to get an idea of fuel economy on that application. Could I could I envision I don't know eight out of that uh, out of that you know the best spec application like you would do at one hundred fifty thousand pounds? No, probably not. I mean, if it was perfectly flat or okay, and uh, it was seventy five degrees and everything was just right, you know, maybe, but those types of numbers look it takes x amount of horsepower to move this type of weight we've got buku rolling resistance because you have multiple axles on the ground a lot of times when you get over 140,000 they're going to force you into going to a tritum so you're going to have extra gear sets um and this is to control you know tire wear and make sure you have traction and it's for the durability a lot of times i think the maintenance cost and the durability of the truck is more important than the actual fuel efficiency in a heavy haul operation not to say that heavy uh, that the fuel efficiency is not important but you know making sure that truck is built correctly so it's not breaking down and you're not eating up drive lines clutches you know going through tires getting stuck in in certain places so it, it is truly um, one of the more involved specs that you're you're going to get into when you're setting up a heavy haul truck. Um, I, I know the guy personally that does that at, at Volvo, the, the engineer that, that handles the, the, the VNX line, and uh, he's been around for years, and, and he does a very good job. So the more data that we can bring him, the the better we can do putting that truck together and possibly maybe even run some simulations. Generally, what we like to do is understand the current equipment that they're running, what they're getting for fuel mileage, what their expectations are based on their current equipment and what their maintenance costs are, where their problems are. You know, are they, are they cracking frames? Are they going through tires? Are they eating up clutches? You know, what, what are their problematic points? So we know where to focus in on in great detail in order to correct those, those maintenance issues. And, Generally, we're going to get a little bit better fuel mileage out of it. Um, There's no way in hell in a heavy haul application that anybody's going to say, oh, I can get you two or three miles a gallon better. You would have rocks for brains to say that. Can we get better fuel mileage? Absolutely. Hopefully, you know, it it would be a mile a gallon better, but you you don't know until you have all that information together and can, can put together some simulations and do a whole lot of math on this and, and look, there will be guys that may be getting decent fuel efficiency, but their maintenance costs are just so far out of whack that 
um, you know, there's, that's a balancing act. It's a trade-off in heavy haul, you know, durability versus fuel efficiency. You really got to look at that. There's something else we have to think uh, of. I just thought- that, hold on one second. So Joel, you know, I always use, use it as the example, because when you're putting down 30 day numbers over 11, sometimes, um, a couple of tenths increase, it, it almost doesn't move the meter where you are. You, you've got to get big increases to see mm-hmm. it in the bottom line. These heavy haul guys who, mm-hmm. on average, are getting four and a half, a couple of tenths for them mm-hmm. is huge. So you're right. We can't get those can't big that, that gains correct. in the, the raw number. But if what we're really after is not the fuel mileage number anyway, we're after the bottom line. We want more money to the bottom line. So correct. many times we could get them the same kind of savings dollar wise, even though we're not increasing their fuel economy as much. That's exactly right. And heavy haul is a little unique that way. You know, it is a balancing act between durability right. and fuel efficiency and, and, and much more so than in an, in, in an on-highway application. You really got to look at that durability aspect. How long are we going to keep this truck? You know, what's that duty cycle? And if you can identify, okay, there's two maintenance issues they're having and we know how to solve that problem and we can gain you a half mile a gallon, at that point, that's huge. For that operator. I mean, that's what, like, knock it out of the ballpark huge. Let me ask this. Kevin, does your strategy of going slower at that weight still apply? Because, you know, you see these oversizes. they got to be pushing 150000 They're barreling down the highway. They probably get paid but, enough for that. But would going slower at that weight still have the same effect or more, more, than, uh, more. as it does more. for us? Yeah, that's more of an effect. Right. So when we use that that number, we 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 use averages because we talk to big groups of people. So the the formula of one mile per hour equals one tenth is an average. Now, Joel might tell you if in his operation he won't see that kind of a gain. He's so efficient aerodynamically and rolling resistance and mechanical resistance that he won't see that kind of a gain. He's already got some of that efficiency already worked in. On the other end of the scale, these heavy haul guys with all kinds of rolling resistance because of the weight and the weight itself being a factor, slowing down is going to get them more than that one-tenth. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You got a lot of thoughts at play with... And the two biggest trucks we could make a comparison on this is the more aerodynamic the truck and trailer combination is, the less of an impact you're going to see. The worse the aerodynamics are, take a big classic pulling open deck, and that they're going to see a big difference in slowing down. Well, and again, when you think about a heavy haul truck, the way it has to be geared in order to have the horsepower to move the load and the RPM the engine has to run. So now you've got all kinds of mechanical drag. You typically, like I said, you may even need to have a tritum underneath that truck. You have all the axles on the trailers, all the tires on the ground. So absolutely slowing that down may go from, you know, a tenth for the average freight operation to three or four tenths for a heavy haul operation. Now that is huge. Right. Yes. Yes. Now that's that's the way it used to be. 
it used to be like that where they'd all be slow and you'd have to get around. But now it seems like the opposite. I don't know. They're all like passing up. Yes. Because they yes, panic. It's crazy. Right? I, they I panic. Uh, you know, I saw this. I could not believe it. My last run when I was out west, I was in Montana coming off one of the big passes. This dude's coming up the hill with this. This is a day cab Peterbilt. It had to have been 800 horsepower. It had to have been. He's got this huge conveyor slash crusher looking thing on there. It's got, you know, eight or nine axles. The damn thing's so heavy. And he's coming up this, this grade at 50 mile an hour. I mean, that thing was getting it. He goes down the other side and it says 50 mile an hour. And I'm slowing my truck down. I got 10,000 pounds in the back. He goes on over and boom, he's gone. He had been going 70 mile an hour with this thing that looked like it weighed 100,000 pounds down the side of a mountain. And I think, who the hell does that? It was, it was crazy. <laughs> but I see that too. I see it all the time. These heavy, these heavy haul guys just hauling ass, and I, I don't understand it. I didn't know about Volvo when I selected this Packard, but I got to say, Joel, this thing is trying to get 10 miles to the gallon. I know I have a light load, about 5,000, but... I can't complain about that. Uh, at 902,000 miles now, I, I still want you to spec me a Volvo, but uh, before I get my Tesla, but um, I, I can't complain about this pack on. I'll run it oh, until it dies, so Kevin won't kick good. my ass, but, but um, hey, speak, next one's going to be a Volvo. Speaking of which, I, I said I had a ton of things I wanted to talk about today, and I couldn't find all my notes. Um, Joel, did you see that um, NACFI and uh, Mike Roth put out some numbers on the yes. Tesla truck? I, yes. I, am, I, I saw it. I, I didn't dig into it yet, but I saw I, it. I haven't dug into it yet either because I wanted to wait and talk to you, and I reached out to Mike. I want to get him on the show with us, and we can all talk about it. And you yeah, reach we, out we to need him to get on letting me buy one because I don't know who to to text or what. I went out to Sparks, Nevada, and they like you like can't get in there. I've been oh, to hey. Fremont. They I got kicked out of there. Hey, if you, uh, if, I know you don't want me to get one, but no, I sure I, want one. I I do want you to get one. In fact, I'm I'm sending Elon Musk a message right now on X to make sure you get one. So you can feed up my go. ass like you did that first guy and make me feel the feel the pressure. I, I send him messages all the time. Oh, He's never responded, but I, I still yeah, send him. Be, uh, <laughs> well, you, when you go into business, you got to have some kind of uh, smarts and fight. And I believe, you know, it, I can pretty much drive anything, and if. And, and make it profitable, uh, and even even the Tesla. I'd like to try it. I'm young enough, but they just sure. won't give me one because they're probably afraid that I'm gonna uh, beat all of their drivers. <laughs> <laughs> could be. That's could right. be. I, you know, I had worked with a guy from the Department of Energy. He was watching my post on LinkedIn for the longest time, and he's in D.C. somewhere, and I can't remember what department he was in, but. He sent me a message and then he, he called me and he said, Hey, he said, I take all your posts and I use this as a baseline and we compare your truck to the Tesla and in an over the road operation. And he said, I'll tell you right now, it ain't happening for the Tesla, not there, at, you know, there, there 10 you and go. 11 miles a gallon. Right. It, it, it's just not going to happen. So they base all their numbers on six or seven. So it would be really interesting to get Mike on with, with some yeah. current data because they're getting better every day, you know, and maybe, maybe this has changed. I don't know. The last data that I saw was 
or even talked about was with the Department of Energy guy, and, and he said at that point, that was a couple of years ago, he said, there's no way. Electric truck, absolutely yeah, not. He said, you're much better off with with diesel. Yeah. I I agree. We have to watch the numbers. It's a, it's a, it's a brand new technology. There's so much potential, I think. And uh, I think it was Meritor actually. Uh, Somebody just announced a a new electric motor design that doesn't use any exotic metals. Be aware. If you, if you're not aware, Cummins bought Meritor. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. So, yes, yes, oh, okay. Bob Meritor. So, th- this is yeah, this is why you're going to see a lot of stuff coming out of Meritor that you're thinking, man, they build axles. What the hell's going on? Well, here? that's kind of what I was thinking. Them specifically, yeah. yes, yes, specifically to to get branched out because Cummins they're doing their fuel agnostic platform where they're going to have hydrogen ice and they're going to have natural gas ice. They're going to have diesel fuel ice and gasoline ice, and then Meritor is going to, you know, kind of handle the battery electric part of it, it. uh, or at least a lot of the componentry for the battery electric. And yeah, that was a, that was a big deal when, when Cummins bought Meritor. I mean, that Meritor is a big company. Yeah, (laughs) uh, it is. And it's a pretty big deal that, that we can get the exotic metals out of the motors. Now we need to get them out of the batteries. Yeah, I, I got that mm-hmm. comment the other day where somebody said, oh, when you were test driving that electric truck, I hope you were thinking slave labor that it took to get the cobalt for the battery. <laughs> oh Look, I, I get it. You know, that stuff, that <laughs> that stuff happens, but it happens in all industries. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, slavery's been around since, it, and I'm not justifying it, but I'm it's not been either. around since right. the beginning of time. Right. You do you do what you can to ethically source everything that you can. You know, you try to do it. I mean, look at the Swedes done. They decarbonize steel. They're making totally synthetic steel now. They don't even want to, you know, find yeah. anything out of the ground. They can build it all in a laboratory. And, and they just rolled out a lot of uh, frames for some of the European Volvo trucks and the construction equipment's using this steel that they're i don't know what the details are but they're not using any of the, the stuff that we typically take out of the ground huh. so it's really cool expensive at this point but i'm sure the technology will get better and better um i, I am sure that companies that you know they're going to look at this from an ethical standpoint nobody wants to see kids in niger or right Zimbabwe or nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants so, that happening. There's nobody. People that like electric cars aren't for slavery. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, it, so, it's, it's the, the industry is going to get together and say, okay, here are the rules to ethically source this stuff. And as demand increases, this you, will get better and better over time. You know what might change this? I just saw another headline and I didn't take the time to read the article, but I saved it. I might go back to it. Um, I saw a headline where we just discovered probably the largest lithium uh, store in the world, and it's in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. So clearly, I I, I read something on that. Clearly, we're not going to use child labor here. That that's not going to happen in the United States. So this could start to change that whole trend. Correct. Yes. But yes. the, the so real answer is we, mean, ne- we need to get all those exotic metals out of this technology at some point because it's just not sustainable. Yeah, we don't want to put ourselves 
Right. And we don't want to put ourselves right back in the same boat that we have with uh, the oil cartels with the Chinese. The Chinese are out there in Africa. They're buying up all the rights to these exotic heavy metals. All over the world. They have control of this stuff. That's exactly right. And they're out there actively doing it. So, you know, from our point of view, you're exactly right, Kevin. Let's just be a little smarter. Let's not go out and buy it all up. Let's figure out how to do it without it. Right. Yes. And uh, And we will. The Chinese in a real pickle. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. I, there's no doubt. Right. There is no doubt. I mean, there's no way that we could, we could continue to build out an electric vehicle platform and say, Oh, it's okay. If it, the Chinese control all the, yeah. all the raw materials to do this, that's not going to happen. And, and there might be another factor here. You know, they started talking about us running out of oil back in the seventies and now we have more oil than we had back then. <laughs> so something weird was there, but I don't think that's the case with these exotic metals. I don't think there are just endless stores of this stuff. I, yeah, I would, I would doubt it my, myself. I, I don't think there's a little factory in the center of the earth turning this stuff out. Saying, oh, yeah, push at, it up towards the surface. You know? Yeah, at that's some point, the, I think we would happening. have a problem where we start to run out of this stuff and then cost is going to go through the roof. And, of course, this is why Elon's into the space exploration. You know he's going <laughs> to latch onto an asteroid and call the damn thing back here. You know that's going to happen. At You're some right. point, that You're is right. going to happen, yeah. and and that's that's yeah. where this stuff is going to come from. I, and I know it sounds ridiculous and far fetched, but it is just a matter of time. We have limited resources here on right. Earth. We got all kinds of rocks floating around out in the <laughs> asteroid belt. Somebody's going to latch onto one and bring it back. Isn't that just an extension of trucking? It absolutely. I was going to say it's, now we're going to be talking about how to get the best, you know, rocket fuel miles exactly, per gallon here right. soon. It, it, right. yeah, you're, it, 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 you're exactly right. It is an extension of trucking, yeah. no doubt. Logistics. It's all about logistics. <laughs> yeah, I, I, space logistics. There you go. <laughs> I, I just did a podcast with a. Uh, a, a woman who does a lot of marketing in trucking and she has her own podcast and I love the name of her podcast. It's every, or, um, logistics is everything where everything is logistics or, or it's some kind of play on words like that, which in reality is kind of true. Every business has logistics to deal with and it's kind of our industry. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking we ought to get out ahead of the game, and me, me, you, and Alec ought to start an asteroid recovery company. There we go. And uh, man, that'd be fun. Just, yeah, we, we ought to just. Oh well, yeah, we ought to just get out ahead of it. We'll yeah. send Alec up to go scout no. out a few asteroids. <laughs> you know, he could take the he could take the first ride. Up. <laughs> you know, we can't we can't yet. make any money hey. on this planet, so we're going to go somewhere else. Uh, and, yeah, exactly. And, I got I got Travis sitting here. He's young. We could send him up. And I I promise you guys, we won't skimp on the parachutes. We're going to buy the best quality we can get you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> oh, shoot. All right. That was fun. Uh, all right. Well, this has been awesome. a fun day. We have kind of been all over the board. I am looking forward to getting um, Mike uh, Rothen with us. We'll talk about this Tesla truck. So we'll get some numbers at least. Um, and some yeah. real world. He drove it. Yeah, so, it would be. Yeah. It, that would be definitely would be interesting. Um, I'll see if I can get some of the stuff from some of the, the Volvo electric stuff that's available. Uh, I know they just had a big thing where they had the North American press over in 
Gothenburg and they had them on some of the electric cab overs over there. And uh, some of the guys that have been around both the Tesla and the Volvo say it was pretty, pretty impressive drive. So it'll be interesting to see how they compare. Yeah. You know, the other thing I saw along these lines and I shouldn't say along these lines because I wish we would separate these two issues. The, the, we, we have, glommed together electric trucks and autonomous trucks. And I'm not sure why they're two totally different technologies. They don't have, have to have anything to do with each other. Maybe it's because the autonomous trucks are, are more leaning and cars are, you know, Tesla's the electric car. They have the best autonomous system right mm-hmm. now. I guess that's why, but I saw this article California looks like they either did, or they're about to outlaw autonomous trucks. California just says, no, it's not going to happen in our mm. state. Um, and then mm. I saw... Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, some of the trucking groups are applauding that. And I get it. I understand why. But they're saying, well, the problem here is that... Th- here we go again. This is going to price the owner-operators right out of the market. They're not going to be able to afford this technology. Uh, and it's just going to be the big fleets that are now going to take over everything because they have autonomous trucks and they don't have to pay drivers. And I thought, wait a minute. Wait, wait. I get that these autonomous trucks right now are expensive because all they're doing is bolting a bunch of aftermarket technology onto a current truck that wasn't designed to be autonomous. This isn't efficient, but this is how we get started. I have said that if they... If they perfect autonomous, where it's actually safe without a driver in it, that truck is going to become really cheap. The autonomous part of the technology is not expensive. It's mostly software and sensors. That's not expensive stuff. And that stuff, the cost keeps coming down all the time. That's how technology works. But look at all the things that will disappear off the truck that are really expensive. There doesn't need to be a cab. There will be no truck. Right. Right. Without a cab, you don't have heating and cooling and and electronics for the driver and radios for the driver and seats and steering wheels and upholstery and sleepers and refrigerators and all the comfort. All that goes away. Glass. No glass. That all goes away. The glass is expensive. All this stuff is. That all goes away. I'm thinking you could, once the technology is done... You might be able to build an autonomous truck for about half of what we build a truck for today. Sure. A great kind of real world example of the impact technology can have. So when, you know, when drones first came out, they were super expensive. Yeah. And and you can still get them today that are pretty pricey, but look what they're doing with a $1,500 drone over in Ukraine. They're taking out $4 million battle tanks, (laughs) which who who the hell would have thought of that? And it's this. This is going to be sort of the same thing here. Once we understand what we need to do, how to perfect it, how to optimize it. Kevin, you remember the old TRS-80 computer from Radio Shack back in the day. That thing was, you had to mortgage the house to buy it, essentially. And and now what's a computer cost? So it's it's the exact same thing is going to happen. You know, the the price of that's going to come down. It's going to be affordable for, for everybody that wants to be involved with it. And uh, I, I, I don't think any owner operator is getting priced out of the market. Initially, yes, it's going to be very expensive. This is kind of why we have 
government programs supposedly to help introduce this type of technology and and soften that blow. Um, I don't necessarily agree with a lot right. of the programs. I don't think you do either, but right. that's, that's the thought that process is what happens, behind right. it to make it a little more fair for everybody. So, um, yeah, yeah, here's the conspiracy theory bullshit, you know. Oh, these autonomous truck people, they're trying to figure out how to put us out of business. No, that's not what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're just they're trying to think of a better way how to move freight. Yep. And unfortunately, we don't spend our time doing that either. We just want to sit around and bitch about how unfair it is. We don't think of better ways of how to do it. No, and we, that's we, a problem. we just that, keep telling that is a competitive problem. No, yeah, yeah, as an industry, it just they keep repeating the same lines. Don't pull the cheap freight and raise your rates. As soon as somebody figures out how to do that consistently, I'd love to know it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how. Yeah, raise your rates in a down market. Yeah, I, I don't know how you just decide that you're just not going to pull freight at all because it's not paying enough and you're going to raise your rates. Please show me an example. And I know people are, are going to hate when, when I say this. You know, that is part of our problem when it comes to competitiveness. It's It's our propensity just to bitch. Bitch and complain. Fixes nothing. <laughs> Protests fix nothing. Making stupid demands at five dollar a mile minimum wages fixes nothing. It it it, it, it just doesn't. That's it, not it actually, that's not how business works in a free market. It actually makes things well, worse. It does it, take the capacity out of them. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. Um, uh, but <laughs> but here, here's what it does. It actually does damage. It's not that it's not that it's just not doing any good. It actually does damage. The rest of the industry looks at this, and this is why owner operators oh, have the uh, the the stereotype reputation. that they have, and the reputation stereotypes yes. happen for a reason. And this is why the, yes. the rest of the industry looks at the owner operator world the way they do. They won't take them seriously yes. as business owners when you talk like this. That, that's exactly right. Well, you're not a business owner when you talk Correct. like this. You right. are you you are an employee masquerading as a business owner is what you are. And yep. and I know that that's going to piss a lot of people off. But that that is essentially what you are when you are demanding wage protections and you're demanding. This is why you should be a company driver. This is part of the reason why I took so long before I jumped back in and, and got my own truck. You know, I just didn't want to. I didn't want to deal with a lot of the business aspect of it and, and why I brought Alec on board because, uh, you know, that's, that's not my wheelhouse, the, right. the business part right. of it for the most part. And I get drugged into the shit a lot of times yeah. <laughs> and, good, and I try to, to avoid it when hey. I can uh, because it takes my focus off what I love to do. And it's all about the efficiency and the, you know, the mechanics hey. of things. But, uh, Joe, you, you are, know, it is what it is. A perfect example of my favorite quote. And I, I stole the quote from Larry Winget. I use it in my open. You're a perfect example of it. Discover your uniqueness and exploit it in the service of others. Your uniqueness is not managing the business. Your uniqueness is the ability to grasp all of the everything that goes into fuel economy, and it's a lot, and maximize it. That, that's your uniqueness. You're really good at it. And you stay focused on that and exploit that in the service of others. It's exactly what you do. And Alec, and, I can and, say and, the same and, thing for you, is, too, in this, in this scenario. Mm -hmm. this, yep. 
Well, this is and, how and we build why, the business uh, around that. Yes, exactly. Um, we we both recognize our unique abilities here, and they complement each other. Yes, and you know, we're not, all I can say is we're not struggling. Right. Actually, right. our struggle is to keep up with with all the loans that we're all the cheap rate that we're booking. Yeah, your, your your struggle is. Let me help you. Your struggle is which truck to take out of service to haul all the money to the bank. There you go. Pretty much. <laughs> except, except that we've, we've even managed that problem because we have automatic ACH deposits. There you go. And you so use, I just use technology. Email, so I, That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. So we, we have to leverage our strength. But yeah. yes, it, you know, it, 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 keeping track of all of the stuff is a challenge. Yeah. One, one more thing on this topic, and then I think we're going to wrap this up, take a break, and I'm going to come back in spaces. If you guys have time and you want to join me, I love having you over there. Um, I, I have, I can't count how many times I've heard over the years, you never talk about revenue. You never talk about revenue. Why don't you talk about how to get more revenue? Well, I do, but honestly, I only have a couple strategies, and that's all I've ever needed. They work. I, I haven't figured out all that many strategies to raise revenue. I don't have a lot of control over it. Now, I can decide what I'm going to work for, but if, if you take this mindset, I'm not pulling freight under $3 a mile. Well, what happens when all the freight is under $3 a mile? And that can happen. What are you going to do? Do you just quit? Exactly. Well, we can ask the construction people. Right, exactly. I, 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 are you just going to quit or go out of business? So uh, the only things I've really figured out on revenue, um, understand business, and, and that's the first hurdle for most of these guys. They just don't. Um, build relationships. They, they, they are this group that, you know, I just running around with on social media back and forth on stuff. Now their whole thing is, oh, look, see, building relationships wouldn't have solved this problem. Look, Rutherford, all he ever talks about <laughs> building relationships. Well, that wouldn't have fixed this. <laughs> I, it sure as hell doesn't hurt, does it? <laughs> exactly. Right. So, but, so I understand rates and lanes. Understand that that rates are complicated in this industry because it's driven by supply and demand. And the problem is our supply moves every minute of every day. That really complicates the, the pricing in this industry. But you, it, it is what it is. You better understand it. And understanding it is how you get more. You would probably be very fascinated to eavesdrop on a conversation between me and Alec. Alec is a bean counter. He is an accountant. He is very much revenue driven. That is in his right. DNA. That's right. in his mindset. I have been around the nuts and bolts of trucking and the relationship part of it is drilled into me in a major way. So when Alex on the load board, he starts rattling off prices. I said, hey, don't forget about our people. <laughs> you know, we had that back and forth constantly. Wait. He's pushing revenue. And I'm like, no, we got to we got to we got to develop this. Let's let's, you know, slow it down. And he's like, so there, there is some give and take there. And, yes. and I get the yeah. need for revenue. It's there. But to me, just because I, I've been around it for 35 years, that relationship building, 
obviously it's not going to solve all problems and it's not the great panacea and trucking right. that's going to save right. everything. But like I said, it sure as hell doesn't hurt. And it's good to have friends that have your back when you're in a tight spot and you can pick up the phone call because you do have, you can pick up the phone and make a, a call because you have that relationship yes. and, and say, you know, we, we need to do this or we need to do that. And that can really save your ass. I mean, it, it yeah. really can more often than not. And, uh, so, you know, that's always my priority is build that relationship versus revenue. And I think it's, I think it's a, a good little exchange that we always have back and forth. It, it, it kind of snaps me back to reality yeah. to a little bit. Don't, don't overdo it. And it, it, yeah. it pulls yeah. Alec back down to earth a little bit sometimes yeah. on, on chasing rates. I, I've got an interesting you know, story that's case in point. happening right oh. now. Um, with that, and I'll come back to it. But I, I wanted to ask you guys some questions, and then Alec, you can go go ahead with your point. But I, I was going to say this: building relationships and understanding pricing in our industry, understanding rates and lanes, building relationships. Honestly, they're the only two strategies I have for increasing revenue. I don't, I don't have any others. So, how much can I talk about those two things? But on the expense side. I have thousands of things I can talk about. There's so many strategies. That's why I talk about it all the time. It's the only reason. So do you guys have any other real strategies for raising revenue? My strategy is communication. Let's take care of our core group of customers that we work with, whether they're brokers or mega carriers or whoever. Service, 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 and the revenue is going to take care of itself. Now, it may not be as fast as the guy chasing rates, right. but you're not ever going to fall as hard either. But yeah, so, that's right. yeah, that's the rate right. chaser can mm-hmm. always go a little higher up the mountain, but when he falls, they typically are going <laughs> to fall much harder. Yeah. So Good we, we kind of mm-hmm. want to avoid those peaks and valleys, develop that that relationship, and let's just have a a nice little, you know, run over rise, you know, it just, just a, a nice gradual increase. It's kind of like expanding your business too fast. Yeah. You know, the, the rate chaser is essentially doing the same thing. You know, they're going after that big buck. That's all that matters. I don't care who I step on to get to it. I'm going to, I'm going to get that big money. Well, okay. Let's see how that works for you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Alec, go ahead. I, I was going to say two things. Uh, yeah. On the relationship. So to pick up on what Joel was saying is, yeah, we have the relationship. But just because the load board that you see in public doesn't mean that there's not a another load board behind the curtain right. for the people that do a good job and work really well on the relationship. Now, I'm not going to give all give away any secrets, but I'm just underscoring that the relationship is very important. Yeah. The other the other point about increasing the revenue is something um, that I learned from you a long time ago, Kevin. And that is, you know, like we talked about the Larry Wingnett, uh, Wingnett uh, quote about exploiting your uniqueness. Um, doing what, frankly, other people don't want to do. When it's below 40 degrees, the, so many people don't want to go below 40. And I was going to northern Alberta and northern BC right. calling chemicals. And uh, so to some degree, you, your uniqueness, you know, developing a niche, doing the work that, frankly, others are unwilling to do. And guess what? I caught a very nice premium for doing it. Yeah. And so that's the other way to, of increasing revenue because there were loads that, frankly, people didn't want to take. And I got a premium for doing it. So I, I 
I hit both sides of that you know, revenue that. equation. Uh, you know, so here, here, here's something there, else there, I would there, say there ways about to do it. revenue. Um, if you would have asked me the question 25 years ago, how do you increase revenue? I, I would have given you the exact same answer. I, I knew this 25 years ago, and it honestly hasn't changed. It's why I don't talk about it much. It, it is what it is. It hasn't really changed. But on the expense side, my God, I'm not talking about about 70% about the stuff I was talking about 25 years ago. It's all new on the expense side. You have to stay on top of this. It's constantly changing. Yeah. Yeah. Th- th- there's but, no doubt about it. But the I revenue mean, it's, side, it's, I, I don't know that those strategies have ever changed. That's how business has always worked. It's supply and demand on the revenue side. It's microeconomics. Yeah, and and relationships you know? and service. I mean, that that's really what it comes down to, relationships yeah. and service, and it's always been that way. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, you know, there's just certain things that you can do. I, one of the things that we just done recently, uh, you know, kind of working with Schneider here is, uh, you know, they're like, are you, are you California compliant? And we're like, well, what does it take to be California compliant with your organization? And they had all these things they wanted us to do, but it just, right. it just opens up a lot. Hell yes, I'll be California sure. compliant. How many times do you hear owner operators? I'm not going to that communist goddamn state. <laughs> yada yada. yada. Well, who, who cares? You who know, cares? Here, one more story, <laughs> and and we'll wrap this up. I I gotta uh-huh. tell you though, I've really enjoyed today's show. I mean, we only took a couple calls. It was the three of us, but it's I, been fun. Yeah, I, I'm really thinking I'm going to bookmark this show. I may even post it up on social media and say, just listen to this. You know, just sit back and listen. Have an open mind and listen and see what kind of response we get from it. I, I want to tell a story about relationships. They don't solve all problems, but they make all problems a little easier to solve. That, that's kind of the way I look at it. And an example right now, and, and this is kind of a, a big decision on our part. I've had to think long and hard about this. One of my strongest relationships before cancel culture got me was Truck Stop. Um, not so much the company itself, but my contact there, um, Brent Hutto. Um, I, I've known Brent since mm-hmm. the, the very first time I decided I wanted to help owner operators uh, because Brent was at Overdrive. And they were the first ones to hire me to do seminars. And I worked directly with Brent. So I, I way, our relationship goes way, way back. I mean, his family stayed at our house. And, you know, I'm going to be staying at his house here after the uh, NASTIC conference. Um, Brent left Overdrive and went to truckstop.com. And because, and I had kind of been dancing around with both that and truckstop.com trying to build some sort of a relationship because I wanted access to that data. They have good tools. I I wanted, you know, to partner with them. And I I wasn't putting a lot of effort into it, just kind of playing around. And I run into Brent at a truck show and he said, you're never going to guess who I'm working for. And I said, who? And he said, truck stop. And I said, oh, the crazy part was about two weeks before that, I had just signed a contract with dad. I finally had gotten through to dad and actually signed a contract with him. And I said, Brent, your timing couldn't have been worse. You're going to have to wait a year. And he did. I, I said, I, I, oh, I, I wow. can't take competing companies. I never do it. And I signed the contract and, and you're going to have to wait a year. And they did. And I went to Dat, and it was a hard conversation. I said, sorry, guys, this, this is just a big relationship for me. So I switched 
we had mm-hmm. great projects going on. Um, we have an awesome course in the works to teach people how to succeed moving into their own authority. We put a lot of work into it. They got bought by big tech. The owner who I used to work with directly on projects retired and went to Florida. And now we've got a bunch of big tech people running this company. And I had no relationship with them at all. And when the whole serious thing happened, they canceled our contract. And it was a, it was a big one for us. And I, I, you know, immediately Brent came to me and said, look, you know, this sucks. I get it. Um, But don't give up on us because I'll convince the new people that they made a big mistake. And I said, fine, but I'm not entirely sure I would sign another contract. Um, It's a valuable relationship, but I don't like the way it was handled. And I'm just not sure I want to work with this company again. I said, go ahead and and work on it. And yeah, if they make us an offer, I'll I'll look at it. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little leery this time. Well, sure enough, um, we will probably be signing a contract next week. Uh, I, we, we've been nice. able to talk and, nice. and work on a relationship, and I do want the data, and I want to bring some of those shows back we were doing with them. Uh, and I think we've come to an agreement. I'll be a little more cautious, um, but, I, but I think it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And that would have never happened had I not had a really strong relationship. Sure, absolutely. If you get a chance, send send Alec information on the, the NASTA conference. I'd I'd like to send him out to that. That'd be awesome. He should be there. Yeah, that, that would yeah, be awesome. Yeah, we we do we the, do some business with him, and and he should absolutely be there. The other thing, if I run into Kevin, you know, everything's done. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That'll be fun. Uh, here's the other thing we have to do. I just had a. a long um, call with David Owen yesterday uh, from Nastic. Um, He had me on his podcast Mm -hmm. and we've had, he calls me about once a week now. We, I'm going to get David onto a day like we just had today with just Mm -hmm. the four of us talking about this kind of stuff because he has just great insight into this. And honestly, he, he agrees with just about everything we've said today. And he's a he's a huge proponent for all of this stuff. Hmm. Yeah, that would be an interesting Perfect. conversation. But yeah, and and Alec, did you send Kevin that article about the the? I, how to I did. I sent it like nine and everything. Okay. Yeah, I, I did. Okay. Good. Good. Awesome. I'm sure it's it's his blown up inbox. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about my <laughs> inbox these days. Um, things things are are getting ugly. You know, we had this big trip planned, which is a big deal. Um, I got to get my coach. My coach has been in the shop since last November. I just thought about that. Last November. That. I'm thinking like, if I leave it in there any longer, it's wow. going to be a year. So finally, I, I kind of bought They're going to be charging I, you rent. Yeah, they should have been. Actually, it's been kind of a nice, I haven't had to deal with storage. So it's kind of been nice to just leave it down there. I didn't want it this summer anyway. So uh, but now I got to get it out. Uh, we got to make sure everything's right. We got to take this long trip. We had planned on just staying out on the road till probably Christmas. We were just going to, you know, maybe come see you if you were somewhere, you know, wander around and, you know, see some of our partner companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then 
things changed. I don't know if you've been listening or not, but we we, we bought the farm. Oh, did you? Yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard a little bit about that. Yep, yep, yeah, yep. So well, you're gonna be milking chickens, right? <laughs> We're gonna be yeah. milking chickens. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. So we actually. Um, uh, I think we close on it next Thursday. I mean, it's going to happen pretty fast here. So um, that trip has completely nice. changed now. It, it looks like we're going to drive straight there. I'm probably going to skip that California truck show I was going to go to because we're going to hang out here longer and try to get some of the moving done. Um, we're not selling you know, the place Kevin, we're in. So it's going to be one of those weird moves where you don't move everything all at once. You do it over, you know, two months. Or, or whatever it's going to take. Uh, right. So, uh, go ahead. What were you so going to say? So, we, do we have to wear do, do we have to wear bib overalls and a straw hat to get on the farm? Uh, yeah, yeah. That that's going to be the uniform. <laughs> we're we're going to have you know custom you let's, let's truck there bib overalls. Right. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. All right. So, All right. Now you're talking. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to cut the trip short. We're going to probably drive straight there. Um, as soon as it's over, um, we are driving down to Tuscaloosa. We're going to spend uh, a day or two with Brent Hutto uh, at his place. And then David Owen is right after the event. He's going down to, he's got a place in Destin, Florida. Uh, and he invited us to come down there. And, Close. Yeah, it's, it's right there anyway. Nice. So uh, we're going to hit those two things yep. and then we're yep. going to get back to the farm. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, now, now when you say make hay when the sun shines, it's going to mean something. It's the real thing. You, you know, I, I, I have to say <laughs> yeah, it's this. it's the real thing now. <laughs> I, I have to say this whole farm thing kind of tongue-in-cheek because I'm not, not going to be a real farmer. I mean, I only have six acres, so it's not, I'm not going to be a real farmer. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, it's fine. Six acres, one acre. Who cares? The exactly. farm's farm. It's got chickens. Uh, yeah. Doesn't farm's that count? Farm. Yeah. There, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Right. Where are you going to sell your chicken milk at? <laughs> <laughs> it's Portland. I could sell chicken milk anywhere. <laughs> I am sure you probably could. In Portland, it would probably sell like wildfire. That's no right. doubt. I, 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 not only am I going to sell uh, chicken shoot. milk, I'm going to start a little push cart and I'm going to make chicken milk ice cream. That'll go over big. <laughs> there you go. Chicken milk yogurt, chicken yeah, milk ice cream. Right. All right. There you go. Uh, all right. Just send me some samples. I want to I wanna try it. There you go. So. All right. Good stuff, guys. I, I enjoyed the show. If you have time and you want to pop over Twitter, I think I'm actually going to – now you know what? I'll make it 11.15. That's enough of a break. Um Take a couple minutes, get set up. We'll we'll be on spaces at eleven fifteen. So, um, thanks as always for taking time out of your day. It was great stuff today. I liked it. Absolutely, it was, it was yeah, a it was fun, fun show. And if uh, if I have signal rolling down the West Virginia Turnpike, I may be over on on spaces. If not, oh, I'll catch it next time. Got it. Sounds good. All right. Great stuff, guys. All right. And I'm trying to keep him <laughs> very good. That's right. That's <laughs> All right. right. Good stuff. Be safe. Be profitable. All right. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.